What's up, everyone? This is Anthony Pompliano. Most of you know me as Pomp. You're listening to the Pomp Podcast, simply the best podcast out there. Now let's kick this thing off. Ed Lattimore is the former heavyweight boxer. He's a best-selling author and a chess enthusiast. In this conversation, we talk about the crackhead work ethic, his life story, his break from alcohol addiction, and why Ed seems to think that the world has gone so crazy. I really, really enjoyed this conversation with Ed. He is one of the last remaining independent thinkers that I can find on the internet. And we talked about a number of topics, both in the current day and over history. I hope that you enjoyed this episode with Ed as much as I did. Let me know in the comments or on Twitter what your thoughts are after you listen. Let's get into this episode with Ed Lattimore. I hope you guys enjoy it. Anthony Pompliano runs Pomp Investments. All views of him and the guests on his podcast are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of Pomp Investments. You should not treat any opinion expressed by Pomp or his guests as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of his personal opinion. This podcast is for informational purposes only. All right, guys. Bang, bang. Very excited about this. Uh, I thought the first place we could start is a crackhead work ethic. (laughs) And I'm going to tell you a story before you explain why you talk about this so much. But uh, I have a brother. I got four brothers, but one of them uh, used to joke all the time and say, crackhead wakes up and uh, they're going to eat today. Don't let them outwork you. And I came across one of your tweets like two, three, four years ago, whenever it was. And I was like, holy shit, man, he know my brother? And I've seen you talking about this, and then I've seen you talk about it over and over and over again. So what exactly is crackhead work ethic? So, you know, people, first off, people wonder where, like, that comes from or why I talk yep. about that so much. And and you got to, like, understand where I grew up. Like, like I'm a, I'm a project of public housing. And if you don't know anything about public housing, you know, there's the... At-risk youth, urban elements, gang violence, a lot of drugs, that kind of thing, right? So, so, so you know, crackheads are like, this is part of growing up, man. We used to get babysat by a crackhead. Like, I've seen people smoking the shit and, and doing other drugs. And and I remember one time as a youngster, I didn't I didn't understand why, why my mom was arguing with the woman that babysat us. Because I was like, oh, I just squirted some water on the couch. Why is this a big deal? I was like three or four. Well, it turns out it was a syringe full of heroin. That's what it was. It wasn't water. I didn't know that. And like, and my mom's like, why you have this around the kid? And the crackhead's like, why? Who's gonna pay for this? It's all freaked out. So that was the debate: of who's gonna pay for right. it? Right. It was. It was silly. Like I remember asking my mom about this. Uh, Probably a few years ago, and just like re- reminiscing and all, and that was the the issue. You know, the, she was mad. The, the the addict was mad because you know that's drugs, and who's gonna pay for it? My mom was like, "Why is this stuff out to where a kid can even get to it, or whatever?" So so you you see this stuff, and you have to cope with it. And I always say, you know, you can laugh a little or cry a lot, right? So I, I choose to make humor out of my life, and. In that humor, uh, one of the things that's just funny to me, man, are, are crackheads, and and I think, <laughs> I think, I think they're like vampires, man. Like if you look at them, you know, there's a joke like you can't kill them or you can't catch them, um, and they're they're super strong. I mean, the, the reality is like whether they're strong or fast or whatever, a lot of it is driven by the need to acquire this very addictive substance, and that's where that work ethic comes from. I mean, it, sure, we could bottle that without. The without the the need to get addicted to something that'd be awesome, 
right? But but you know we, we can, so instead I joke about it, and and in those jokes I'm trying to I'm, I'm I'm imparting some wisdom because look if you if you ever seen someone get clean, a lot of times uh, what what happens is you don't just break an addiction. Mm-hmm. Instead, you replace it or dilute it with other things. And a lot of times, you know, these these guys will pick up something positive and will just run with it because they're no longer they're, they're getting their fix from something that has a that has a positive externality, you know, associated with it as opposed to getting their fix, you know, from from an addictive destructive substance. So that work ethic, that gets channeled into <laughs> to a lot of other things and that's where the crackhead work ethic comes from. I have this theory about people, and this I think aligns very well with it, which is uh, there's high volatility and low volatility people. And I've talked to a bunch of times on the, on the show about uh, as an investor, when you're investing in founders, you want high volatility people. Either they're going to build a multi-billion dollar company or it's going to be a big you know hole in the ground, but you want it to go big, right? Guys like Adam Newman, people are like, why does he keep getting money? Mm-hmm. Well, it's because he's going <laughs> big. You just don't know which direction, right? But like it's going to be big. And so that's in investing, but- in the regular world, you know, outside of investing, there's high volatility and low volatility people. And what you're describing is basically high volatility people where there's an obsession, uh, uh, like almost personality trait where, yes, the drug, there is a, a chemical component to it where they get addicted to it and, and they become obsessive and, and all of this. But if they replace it with something else that then becomes an obsession, whether it's a drug or or, or not, uh, that's a high mm-hmm. volatility person. They can swing drastically and then go like 100 uh, miles an hour towards that thing. And it's almost like the person themselves is they're pointing in the right direction. It's a positive point in the wrong direction. It could be catastrophic. And, yeah, and then the, the two things come to mind when you say that, right? So first, I, I never described it as high volatility and low volatility. The The phrasing I always use, but it's, it's not in the context of, of an addictive personality, just kind of how you grew up and what you, you, you know, experienced as a youngster. I, I call it a a ceiling, the ceiling on the floor concept, right? When you grow up in a, a safe environment, when you grow up nurtured with with without really wanting for anything, I'm not saying you're spoiled, just not destitute. Your your mentality is to to maintain that and to kind of meet the expectations of the status quo you grew up in. So your your floor is higher. Like you like you're not it's really hard for you to fall off. You got a support system around you. You you more or less understand how to work and do things and be a constructive, productive, contributing member to whatever group you're part of. Your floor is higher. Mm-hmm. But your ceiling is lower. You're not you're not going to take risks. You're not going to fly off and do something crazy because those those moves are highly volatile, you know, to, to start a business, right? You know, you could succeed and be great. You could also fail and end up going on the welfare line. And if you've never been in that position, that is like devastating. We don't deal well with loss at all. So you're like, I'm going to avoid the loss. But better than avoiding the loss, you know, you avoid the gain, the potential gain as well, right? And then the other thing I thought about when you were saying that is, you know, I, I know some people who who did hard drugs and didn't get hooked. You know, I know a guy that smoked crack like two or three times, and he was like, you know, that's just not for me. Now, no one would look at that end of one experiment and go, told you it was a scam. Crack's <laughs> not addictive. Like, you know, like, no one will react that way. 
But what that tells me, well, there are a lot of different ways to interpret that based on what we know now and, you know, how, how your environment and who you are shapes whether you're going to get addicted to certain things or not. But one of the other interpretations is like, you know, what if there are people who, for whatever reason, they don't they don't take two things like that. And, and it, drugs just happen to be an easy example to to look at and measure because we can measure the 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 negative output or not negative output negative outcomes you know okay well you're you're in prison we can ask you where you're in drugs you commit a crime we can see the drugs behind it you know you you get into the system in one way or the other and we can see the effect of drugs but what we don't see are the people who have that same trait never pick up something negative but never excel in something positive either. Mm-hmm. You know, they're they're the people who it's like who the the balanced lifestyle folks, right? Mm-hmm. There's there's that whole thing like oh, you know, you want a little balance, and balance is cool, and balance is great, and there's a lot of benefit to it. But one of the things you don't get <laughs> typically when you have balance is you don't get exceptionality. You you get you know there, there are two ways to be to have a to have a B average, right? Which is to be Bs in all subjects. Or to have like two A's and a bunch of D's, you know, and and it's still not going to quite work out. But but you tend to not be exceptional in any one or two areas that it's going to gain you recognition or or a disproportionately or asymmetrically higher uh, income <laughs> than if you do the right balance thing and you don't uh, right is I don't like saying right if you take the balance safe approach to life. What one of the beliefs I think that's changed a little bit in business is uh, it used to be go find the well-rounded person. Go find the person who went to certain school, got the degrees, got, you know, uh, this skill said they were in this club, they did this extracurricular activity, they worked at this job for five years, you know, whatever. Now I see a lot more people talking about no hire for the exceptional skill. So exactly what you're talking about. Don't hire the the B student across the board. Hire for the person who is amazing at sales and they're horrible at finance, <laughs> right? Because guess what? When they join the team, they are not going to be running the finance team. Right. They're going to be running the sales team. And you need someone who's excellent at sales and, and so go hire for that. But what it makes me think a lot about is like in your life, most people are actually aspiring to be the well-rounded person. And it always cracks me up. Like I'll talk to a friend. I'm like, you know, what have you been doing? And they'll tell me some like crazy uh, uh, hobby they picked up or something. Like, Why are you doing that? Like it, basically because I think I should. <laughs> I'm like, do you enjoy doing it? They're like, no, nah, it's hard. It sucks. I'm like, so are you doing it because it's hard and it sucks? Like, okay, I, you know, I, I see that path of, uh, of thinking. But usually is no, because I think that I, uh, I should be doing this and it provides some social signal or I want to fit into a certain group or, or whatever. And I'm just like, man, what a life that would suck to like live just doing <laughs> shit because you think other people expect you to do it. And and what you're describing, you're describing a lot of people and and probably even more than I I tend to cluster because I mean, to, to me, I see it as a normal distribution. I see a lot of traits. And, and even if that's not like exact, and it, it almost certainly isn't, it's useful and we can make some useful predictions. If I tell you, that you know the, the the average person is is you know balanced and most people fall within one well number two standard deviations of that on either side you know they're either going to be kind of good at many things and are kind of bad at many things uh, that leaves this rare individual that is that gets it 
Whether and 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 whether they get it intentionally or accidentally stumbled into it and had some good experiences and some payback and kept with it, uh, doesn't matter. But they get it. the The rewards are just they're so disproportionately uh, higher that they, they don't scale linearly. I wouldn't even say uh, truly exponentially. If you are, if you are really good, that's like 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 boxing, for example. Uh, if you're really if you're if you're a good enough boxer to get into the top ten, you're gonna make a lot more money than a club fighter, but not nearly as much money as the guy who is fighting for the title mm-hmm. by definition one or two. Okay, but to get to one or two, you gotta give up a lot. Mm-hmm. Even to get in the top ten, you gotta give up a lot. I wrote an article about this when I was you know people always ask me why why did I stop with the record I had. And and it's a, it's a complicated answer, or at least multifaceted answer, which is why I wrote the essay. But one of the things I touched on was that for me to get to the top 10 <laughs> with my ability where I started my size, that's a huge opportunity cost. Is it worth it? Right now, now I'm making a, I'm, now I'm making a decision because I happen to have um, other skills that have a, a payoff, and and I made the trade-off. I think it was an appropriate, smart one to focus on building my, my writing career, my website, and everything I do on the internet in place of that. But a lot of people don't have that trade-off. So you look at you look at the fighters. I would just use fighters because that's the example, but I think it scales in any competitive domain or domain where there is, a, I guess, zero sum is probably a better way to look at it. And the people who make it to the top are so much further ahead of everyone else in the middle. But to get there, you have to be obsessed. Like like those like anyone you see playing professional sports on TV, those aren't well rounded individuals. <laughs> like it's actually kind of a joke here in America that we make these guys go to college first, at least yeah. in in the NFL. The NFL I think is the only uh sport where there's not a direct from high school mm-hmm. to pro Pipeline. I know there's one in basketball. I know there's one in baseball, and I'm pretty sure there's one in hockey, but not not in the NFL. But but it's it's a joke that we're like you got to go through the NCAA and go to college because because who are we kidding here? You're not making these guys. Very rarely will you get the guy that's like like uh. Myron Roll, remember him? Yeah, right. Myron Roll was like a Rhodes Scholar. He and, was in like pre-med, and he was also a star on the football field. I'm trying to remember the guy's name. He played for the Ravens. Uh, Johnny, he, I follow him on, on, on Twitter. I think we follow each other, but he, he's got his degree in math, you know. Mm-hmm. I remember Courtney Brown, who played for the uh, for the Browns. He was an engineering, he had mm-hmm. an engineering major at Penn State. But these guys are like rare, Rare. I mean, like we need we can to, name like, them because they're <laughs> so rare. I don't even follow. Right, exactly. We don't even follow football that that much. At least I don't. I follow it well enough to know that like when when someone outstanding like that shows up, because that's not normal. What is normal is being so obsessed that you get to that level and you don't do anything else. I don't like like no one cares if he, they, these guys can even really read. I mean, I'm not saying that's a good or bad thing. I'm just pointing out. That sometimes you got to give up, but we can. You could read the defense; that might be more right. important can, can to the read NFL the team yeah. than, than you know, read love and peace, a war and peace. You know, that's what we're we're looking for. Yeah. All right. Elon <laughs> Musk, when he was on SNL, he's I think he said it best. He's like, I- I'm trying to get to Mars. Did you think I was going to be normal? <laughs> right. <laughs> like no. And then I remember seeing all these articles uh, a while ago. My, my father actually he, he pointed out. Uh, I think it was like 
there's an article written. It was like Jeff Bezos does the dishes at home and like drops the kids off at work. I was like, bullshit, <laughs> bullshit, <laughs> right? And I get that people want to present like a certain viewpoint, right? But it's like it's also different between what it took to get to a certain point and then what you do once you're kind of yeah. at the peak, right? But but it's just it's hard work, right? And it goes back to kind of this like crackhead work ethic uh, idea of like if you want to be great at something. <laughs> You have to fucking work hard. If you want to be the greatest crack addict <laughs> that's ever lit up a pipe in the hood, you're not you're not getting a job. You know, you know. Look, I mean, I've, I've met functional addicts. Like, nah, you, you're gonna you're gonna be out there every day. You're hitting the scrapyard or something, right? Now, I, I don't I don't want anyone to hear this and go, this this motherfucker is is promoting drug use. Like, no, that's not the point. No, like you're com- you're commenting though on something that is very real, which also a lot of people in society don't see every day. Right? Never. Then they don't. There's a whole. I think about this a lot. And I'll just tell you a random story to, to, right. to illustrate this before I go into the detail. I remember one day in, in my old neighborhood before I moved, it wasn't a where, where I lived as an adult. It wasn't a bad neighborhood. It was just in the uh, it was just in the city, and and I know enough about the the drug game and and how it works. I know enough to know that. You're not storing a massive amount of product. And not everyone that's in the business is going to live in the area where the stuff is sold. In fact, you know, why would they? Okay. And I it was like midnight or something. And I was up and I just heard, uh, it was like a rain of bullets for like five minutes. They pulled up on this house and just, just eliminated it. Drove off. Doesn't make the news. Now I'm, I'm like, are we going to hear anything about this? Nope. And and I said to myself, I know enough to, about the area I'm in. Probably, probably something related to uh, to drug trade, like because the you know the the way that was done, that's not you know or maybe revenge, but unlikely where I live. All right, so 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 why do I tell that story? I tell that story to say that most people are like living in the world and they don't realize there are levels beneath and above mm-hmm. them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And if you don't see anything else other than what you know, you assume that's all there is. And that that's a that's a that sounds obvious, but we don't think about the implication of that. I can talk all day about everything I've seen and, and I think this is one of the the reasons people enjoy some of the, the writing I put out on this topic because it's a world they're never going to touch. And that's not a bad thing. I tell you, like, you don't want your kids to see this stuff, man. And like, because for every one of me, survivor's bias is a real MF for man. Every one of me, you know, there's, there's a thousand or, or, or probably a lot more, in, you know, in, in jail, whatever. So I can see this and comment on it and then deliver it up. And it's, I would imagine it's in reverse when you talk to people, I, I call it, I call it like uh, visiting the matrix when you when you step down into to deal with people who have no idea how how one can make a living the way you make your living. They look at you like you got superpowers, man. From from, from a lifestyle perspective, you're dodging bullets, okay. Mm-hmm. And then you step on leave and go back with other people who have interacted and you know who you know from the matrix. And there is a level, and they can't imagine your level any more than they can imagine my level. Most people are are, are sandwiched right in the middle, mm-hmm. and it it <laughs> back to what we were saying at the beginning. They don't ever go below that floor, so they don't know what's in the basement. Mm-hmm. 
But they ain't never going to leave the house. Forget going to the attic. They never leaving. They're stuck there. When I was in college, uh, I got pulled out to go uh, to Iraq. I came back, and uh, there's two stories that always immediately jump to mind uh, about this idea of uh, kind of understanding the people who are ahead of you and the people who uh, want to be in your position, right? Because that's really what it ends up being is everyone's looking up. It's just there's very few people who look up, and there's nobody else up, right? And it's like there's like five people in the world. Uh, But – the first was when I came back, uh, I was a white dude with a shaved head who all a bunch of these dudes <laughs> on the football team knew was he went to Iraq. There was like four or five kids that maybe six months after I'd been back, I said something to one of them and, and he had look like he saw like a ghost. And I'm like, what's up? And he goes, uh, bro, I, I was never going to talk to you. He's like, you got a shaved head. You went to war. Like, fuck that. <laughs> <laughs> right. And so like this idea of I had an experience in life that they couldn't, ex- you know, even comprehend. By the way, this same kid went to a school, uh, I think it was in Ohio or something. I remember him telling me like, dude, we had clear backpacks and walked through metal detectors and like all this. And I was like, that right. was in my high school. Right. So like, okay, <laughs> like we both have these experiences in life that we probably could learn from each other, but just we, it's, it's hard to understand without actually going through it. And the second thing was, uh, got paid some money, uh, while I was away, uh, in the military and I came back and I was a young kid, uh, no wife, no girlfriend, no kids, no responsibilities outside of like survive in this college environment, which is basically a cakewalk compared to where yeah. you know, I just was. And so uh, somebody uh, who I admired had told me about uh, foreign currency trading. Oh, that just sounds like a get rich scheme. <laughs> get rich real quick. So I started doing this, and I remember I was sitting in class, and, and I'll never forget it. I was in a, uh, a Chinese economics class, and I was sitting in the back. I had my laptop up, and I could see everyone else. Everyone else taking notes, doing all you know what they're supposed to be doing. And I'm, I'm like not trading, but I'm like looking at the charts and everything. A kid on the football team sitting next to me. And uh, I remember he, he kept like kind of looking over and being like, the fuck is this guy? <laughs> this guy's just as dumb as me, right? He's like, what's he yeah. doing with this? And so when we left, he said, yo, Pop, let me ask you a question. Like, what, what was that? Oh, it was foreign currency stuff. And, and uh, he goes like, uh, how does it work? And I told him like super high level, right? Like there's these things, they move. And if you pick the right bet, essentially, uh, you can make some money. And he's like, all right. He's like, you just made some money? I said, yeah, so far. And he's like, how much? That's a thousand dollars. And he literally looked at me and he goes, bro, that's better than drugs. And, and it's not illegal. He said, it's not illegal. And so, you know, we started talking to whatever. He came from uh, Washington, D.C. area, not the best area in the world or whatever. But like to get rich quick, that was his experience was people would go into drugs or, or just do things that weren't go get a nine to five job mm-hmm. or, or, or whatever. And so it. It's funny because like those are like very kind of closed environment. You're on a college campus. You you know, it's like weird things that people don't interact with on a day-to-day basis. But if you extrapolate that out, just the United States versus other, you know, societies in the world, that alone, we don't think about how uh, fortunate we are to be in a country where, look, you can go say some crazy shit on the street and you're not going to get abducted and killed. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Right? Like, you know, if you go to the extreme example, like there are societies in the world where a woman cannot walk outside without her face covered. Mm -hmm. Like that's a pretty big fucking difference than what we have here in the United States. And, and if you never, being aware of it is one thing, right? Mm -hmm. I, I think one of the best things about the internet and social media, there's a lot of negative and people, it's very easy to point out the negative, but I think one of the best things about it is that it really does allow you to interact with, albeit sometimes in a um, rather explosive manner, 
other cultures. But if you're willing to learn, you get to see a lot about the world that you had no concept about. And you get like a firsthand, real-time experience and conversation and perspective from people on the ground there. 20 years, even 20 years ago, that wasn't really a thing. Uh, but now it is, okay? But to go and to go and live it, to experience it, even, even not to that extreme, but to just talk to people who are not American, who who live every day not caring or knowing about the stuff you consider to be important, that you consider really important, people have told you are important. Like, for example, like, like our politics. And in politics, everyone makes a big deal. It goes, oh, you know, it's about governing the United States, and you live here, and you have to care about this, and you need to be fraught up, and this makes a big difference. And, I, and, and because I spend... I wouldn't say like a lot, but certainly certainly more than the average person, uh, time out of the country. I'm just like, you know, there's a lot of other stuff going on. This is this is just one thing. You know, there's a whole group of people who don't who they don't even get a chance to vote in our like because they're not they're not citizens. And I just I think about that a lot, that a lot of people have their their world. And their world is important. And in their world, they can decide whether they want to interact with other worlds or double down on on staying in, in the world that they have and the world that they know and what makes them most comfortable. And I think most people choose the comfort option, of course. Uh, but but one way or the other, sooner or later, you, you, get, you get introduced to something different and whether you're prepared for it or not is a totally different story. One of the funniest things to me in the world is that the United States taxes illegal immigrants. <laughs> they tax crime, like, too. Like, Isn't that crazy? Like, like, hold on, let's rewind here for a second. So we're worried about all this stuff, right? But uh, the United States basically was built on the idea of no taxation without representation. And we got people who get taxed, but they don't have a say. You know what blows my mind and then that same vein is, you know, when I was considering getting my well not considering I'm still gonna do it. I'm just not gonna do it the way I, I had anticipated because I just know more now. Right. Uh when I was gonna grab my my citizenship in in Portugal and I was just looking and learning about all the things and our tax agreement, I was like, you're telling me that if I ever stop being an American, I still gotta pay taxes? Cause I was an American once. That blew my mind. I was like, yeah, global why taxes. Would I, I was like, why would I ever get rid of my citizenship then? Like that, I get rid of that. That's the worst of all worlds. Yeah. You know? well, they, they um. Uh, so some people have have kind of gotten to this now, but uh, uh, you know that if you were to renounce your citizenship. Uh, you get taxed that day on all your assets, right? As if you died. So basically, you know, call fifty percent, <laughs> give or take. Uh, but you know why they do that? There's a guy who was actually a co-founder of Facebook, who he renounced his citizenship. He, I think, moved to Singapore, uh, hit a couple billion dollars worth of Facebook stock, and at the time there was no rule. Wow. So if you renounce, you, you're good, right? If you're a citizen, no matter where you live in the world, wherever your residency is, you 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 pay Uncle Sam. But if you renounce, then then you're good. Now you don't have the citizenship, right? And so it comes down to the question of like how important or how valuable is it? But if you got billions of dollars, and, then it may and you take on Singapore, which is like one of the one of the passports and citizenships that that is more um, that gives you more access yes. <laughs> than an American. So person. after this guy did this, they were like, "Hey, hold on a second here. We're not going to let this fly." And so they <laughs> they implemented this rule, and so it's always funny because you can look at a lot of uh, tax law. 
And it's because someone somewhere figured out some loophole or did something, and then they're like, okay, let's close that. Let's change and this. And they decided it was too much, yeah. And, and so now we got to pay. If he had done it with $100 million, no <laughs> one would have cared. We did a couple billion, and they were like, oh, let's close that yeah, one well, this is wild. Yeah. <laughs> right, right? The, uh, the other uh, tax thing that's pretty interesting is, uh, I don't know if you've heard of these uh, opportunity zones. So Opportunity Zone is basically uh, uh, under Trump. They came up with a, a map, essentially, and they went into cities and they said, uh, this is a not necessarily a bad area, but just an area that has received less investment. Mm-hmm. And so taxes can serve as a carrot or a stick. So let's go ahead and put an incentive in place. If you take capital and you invest it in the pre-selected uh, areas and you hold it uh, for 10 years, right? There's a lot of nuance, but basically if you hold the investment for 10 years, you don't pay taxes. So if you make a long-term investment in areas that we're telling you need investment, then we will give you favorable tax treatment. Hmm. One of the guys who helped push that through is Sean Parker from uh, from Facebook and all this, right? And so you start realizing it's like, well, how did that log in, please? Because <laughs> some guys who were rich were like, yo, we got a great idea, right? Let's go and pitch it and, and do all this stuff. And so when you start to realize that a lot of laws and regulations and legislation and all stuff is like, there's usually it traces back to one individual was like, I think something should change. And people either get on board or they don't. But like, that's how the rules get made. Yeah. Uh, one of my favorite quotes, man, is from The Wire. And he, the detective goes, you know, if you follow, you follow drugs, you're going to get drug addicts and drug dealers. But if you follow the money, you don't know where the fuck you're going to end up. <laughs> it's true, and, and, and I think about that. That that is what is the why? Why is eleven years old at this point? Uh, and I think about that. What a poignant observation uh, about everything in, in in our world, not just the low level, but yeah, politics in particular too. Yeah, it it, uh, it makes you think hard. This episode is brought to you by Athletic Greens. I take AG1 by Athletic Greens literally every day. I gave it a try a couple years ago, and now I like it so much that I even became an investor in the business. It is the single best option for easy, optimal nutrition out there. Every time you take one scoop of AG1, you're absorbing 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food source, superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens. Athletic Greens will give you one free year of supply for immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. Go to athleticgreens.com slash pomp to give AG1 a try today. Athleticgreens.com slash pomp. I take AG1 every day, so you should go try it today. This episode is brought to you by Unstoppable Domains. They've partnered with blockchain.com to create NFT domain names ending in .blockchain. It's the perfect ending to show that you're a believer in a decentralized future. The blockchain.com community can join a short waitlist to get one for free at blockchain.com slash waitlist slash blockchain domain. Free NFT domains provide all the benefits of premium unstoppable domains, including fee-free lifelong ownership. If you don't have a blockchain.com wallet, no worries. There's new free domains available to everyone. Either join the waitlist for a free blockchain.com domain or visit unstoppabledomains.com to buy your domain today, starting as low as $5. Unstoppabledomains.com. Well, one of the things that's interesting about you is uh, you, you've said that you've had four lives. And I think a lot of people don't think of their lives kind of in almost chapters, right? Mm-hmm. But but uh, uh, I think we're unique in that um, there's like almost like adolescence, right? <laughs> then, then there's this element of... Uh, um, if you serve in the military in, in any capacity, there's like kind of a 
time box around that time. Yeah, because it's it, weird. It's very, very <laughs> weird, right? And, and uh, people who have been in the military, I think, can, can uh, uh, understand that. People who haven't, they'll be like, what do you mean? Like, you, you know, whatever. Nah, it's just like that's a time in your life. And then there's these other chapters. Your four chapters, I think, couldn't be more different, it feels like, right? And, and you've really kind of transitioned between this. Do you ever think that you're all for those people? Or do you just think of it as oh. I used to be this person and now I'm like a new person? I am, um, if, if I'm going to like look at a transition point, uh, a real differentiation between each life and whatever life comes up, I think it all comes down to what my priorities were and what my weaknesses uh, were at the time. So, you know, kind of what, what's driving me and what is holding me back. And sometimes they're the same thing, you know, like <laughs> like in my mid-20s, uh, my priority was was pretty much, you know, drinking and chasing girls. Imagine how that holds you back from making progress. It, I look back at it now in my, my, my late 30s and I go, wow, of course, it's obvious. And then I'm like, well, why am I having these issues in my life? Well, because that was my priority, but it was also my obstacle. But but I think it, it's very easy for me to separate that out because there's just there's just these clear blocks. I mean... Because of the people I was around and the things I was doing and, and and the feedback I was receiving and what I knew and all that, they they look like different worlds and they have different ex- experiences in each world. But I am I'm a product of everything that I, I've gone through and learned from the lucky breaks and the tough breaks. You're a product of all of it. You don't get to leave any of that, you know, behind. And thank goodness because. If you don't if you don't learn from your mistake, you're gonna repeat them. The thing about getting older is that is that uh, what was the best way I, I've put this? If you if you take care of a problem early, you get a discount on it. <laughs> if you take care of it when it shows up, you're gonna pay MSRP. You're paying sticker price, but if you delay it, you're gonna pay a tax. And a you know tax and a penalty on it, and it might exceed your capacity to, and, and like like, and I came up with that when I was thinking about the drinking thing. Yeah, when did you start I, drinking? Um, I, I started. This crazy, I can say. I, I say relatively late. Like eighteen is relatively <laughs> late, but but yeah, that that's when I started. But it was out of hand, and it was causing me to make just awful, terrible decisions. Right out of thought, the gate, you just drank a lot. Right out the gate, you know, and there's no half step in here. We were just talking about that. There's no, Anything worth doing is worth overdoing. Right, you know, and <laughs> and and fortunately, you know, I've never been able to be a moderate god. I, you know, I actually had, a lot of people don't know this, I've been sober now, it'll be nine years this December. A lot of people don't know I had another period of sobriety from a year and a half, I think, can't, I can't even remember. I, I no, it was longer than a year and a half. It was like from twenty to twenty three. I didn't drink uh, because I don't. I don't know the middle. Mm-hmm. There's no no middle here. Why would I? Uh, like it cracks me up, man. I can watch my girl. She'll she'll open a bottle of wine because she wants some wine. She'll open a bottle of wine, pour a glass, and drink half that glass and forget it was there. And that bottle then will sit there for like three four months before she even goes back to it. And I'm like. What's wrong with you? We used to go through two, three at night when it was time to drink a bottle of wine. Not us together because she has been a great influence. But uh, in general, us as in the the drinking community, Mm -hmm. two, three uh, a night. 
So there's there's no middle there. But but when I look at that that time of my life, that is a it's an example of a life that if I didn't get in front of that problem, I was gonna pay a big tax on it and get close. Because you know there there's when you get in front of your problems and you you express real remorse and you express the desire to change and you stick with that change, people forgive a lot, probably more than they should, right? Mm-hmm. Because because you you really are making an effort and you made the effort and it shows you serious. Like I'm sure nobody would take me took me seriously when I when it was a month in, a year and a lot more people were like, hmm. Five years, and I was like, okay, this this dude is real. It's not just an act or whatever. But imagine if I, I, you know, you say that and you go back and do it again. And every time it's like, oh, man, I'm done drinking. I'm done being an asshole. And you go back and you do it again. Like, no, nah, it means nothing. It, you know, it, it means nothing. I always, I always say, like, if, if if I had to go behind bars and stop drinking, <laughs> imagine that. Then no one cares if I stop. Mm-hmm. Then it's then it's you know society made me stop and and I've done some damage likely. And you I, just stop cold turkey or I stop uh, okay. kind of weaned yourself off. Um, I, it's funny, man. <laughs> I I went through these these phases. So so in two thousand and twelve, September two thousand twelve, I I was I had moved back to Pittsburgh where I'm, where I'm from where I live now. I was out in Los Angeles for like two years because of because of something related to boxing. So I moved back, and I would do these on and off things, man. Like, like I tried to go. I was like, I'm gonna go one week without drinking, and see how it is, and, and go thirty days without drinking, and see how it is, and get back on and go hard and go the other way, right? Uh, and then finally, I, when I came back from from my basic, I did my basic, and then I did my um, AIT. My AIT was was twenty two weeks out in Fort Lee, Virginia. Basic was in Fort Leonard Wood. Did that together. Uh, we, they let out. I think I got back like December eighteenth, something like that. Uh, then went out and drank crazy, made a fool, and got somewhere. And I didn't remember getting there. I did, but I just know I drove. And I was like, "Yo, this is this is mad." And I got a bunch of stuff in the line. I like cared about myself more. <laughs> as weird as that goes, and and then I was able to finally like. Stop, but I made like a public, not a public declaration, but I texted uh, my five closest friends, and I was like, "I'm just letting you guys know. I think I got a real issue. Uh, I'm gonna stop. I understand if you guys don't want to kick it anymore, because I think a lot of people who stop drinking are worried about that, and rightfully yep. so, because if if they're not good friends, like I've lost friends. I mean, they didn't like cut me out and be like, we can't be friends, but they, they stopped hanging out with me or two or three years in when they were saw I was serious and my life was making progress and moves and, you know, we shifted away. Misery likes company. Oh, is it, and not just misery. That's only part of it. But but more than more than misery, people like feeling like a position, they're in a position of superiority. The people mm-hmm. do not like when the status changes and it changes because you moved it, not because they moved. They're, they're not very happy about that. Like, like people can cope with them falling off and you, you know, staying there. But when they stay still or think they're doing well and then you make a change and you you leapfrog them, it's a it's a different game entirely. But yeah. we, we made those or we I made those changes and then it was able to stick. And I was busy. I had things that I was wearing you know, on my fighting career. I was I was back in school. Uh, what else was going on? I was writing for the website. 
was trying to be a decent boyfriend. I was doing, doing well. And it's work because she's still here, you know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, 10 years later. And, and something else. And when, when you said that you were going to stop. So uh, the reason I'm so interested in this is uh, in January of 2021, on January 1st, uh, the night before I got hammered, uh, as I think most people do on New Year's. Um, and all through 2020, like I, I've never been a, a huge drinker, but I like going out. I like partying, doing all this stuff, especially, you know, in my 20s and stuff. And uh, for whatever reason, during the pandemic, uh, I joked that like I kept the liquor store in business down the street in New York City. <laughs> right? and, and I was just getting wine. But I would go and I'd pour a fat, you know, glass of wine. I could not do what your girlfriend was doing, right, in terms of drink a little bit and then yeah. just whatever. <laughs> I was just go, just drinking. But it wasn't like a, uh, I was addicted. It was almost out of like a boredom, right? Because yeah. there was nothing to do. You're sitting inside, 5 o'clock, bam, all right, let's get a, get a glass of wine. And so I was just like, man, not maybe as coherent as you would be in like, hey, I have a problem as much as it was like a uh, – January, dry January. I've never done that before. That sounds cool. Let's see how I feel if I just don't drink. And I'd start to take health a little bit more seriously, sleep more, you know, do all these different things during the pandemic, whatever, because I had time to kind of think about like, uh-huh. you know, all this stuff. <laughs> and after 30 days, I actually felt pot committed. Right. Because I, I felt like I was on a streak, <laughs> right? Like a hot streak. <laughs> I, I can't drink on day 32, right? Because I, I, I get 32, 33, whatever. And I haven't drank since. And so it's been, a, you know, a, almost uh, a year and nine months or whatever, but I don't have the same, I think, uh, sense of like accomplishment maybe as you do yeah. in the sense of you were like, I have a problem, I got to correct it. And what I think about a lot is like, uh, fortunately, I think most people probably are more in my seat than in yours where they drink, but they don't think that they have a problem. They don't think it's like, quote, unquote, too much. Yeah. It's more so just like, maybe I should drink less. Right. And, and it's less of like a black and white. Like in some ways, a, the black and white of like, I have a problem. Let me stop. It's a lot easier to navigate. It's easier. Than, right. Yeah. That, that gradient, man, I, I just don't do well with it. And, and yeah. that's in anything in my life. I mean, well, I'm sitting here right now. I had my coffee this morning that I made in the room. Then the coffee that they brought me, and then I went. I got I got to the studio a little early, and I said, "Let me walk down and get a coffee at McDonald's. I got a coffee here." The difference is after three coffees, I'm not slurring my speech and being making an ass of myself. So we can we can do that. But that that middle ground, you know. Um, I think so. So first of all, on alcohol, I'm not like anti you know alcohol. You're leading a prohibition charge, anything like that. You know, if you want to drink, you want to drink. <laughs> With that said, I always remind people there is no health benefit to alcohol, right? It is in the purest sense of the word a poison. It's one we've we handle, you know, better than cyanide, but like it's still not like your body's gonna be okay without it. Even even our sweets, you know, you one could argue you need carbohydrates. Well, not, not, well, not argue, you know, you, you do, but, you know, and the sugar is just the carbohydrate. And, and I bring that up to say, you know, some people go, oh, you don't need sweets either. I'm like, okay, you don't need sweets, but the things that sweets are made out of, you do need is, mm-hmm. is where I go with that. Not the case with alcohol. So so it's it's this, this ground, but it's not going to like, you know, a wine, glass wine here or there is not going to kill you. Though there's a great movie, this is a side note, one of my favorite movies, one of the best ones I've seen um, called Shot Caller. And Shot Caller is about this 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 guy. He's a, I think he's like some type of insurance or trader or something like that. Like a white collar dude, and he goes out 
with his wife and their friend, and he has like a few glasses of wine and gets into a car accident and ends up doing a because the guy I think I can't remember if the guy died or everybody ends up doing like a year and a half in jail. But they they sent him to like for real no shit prison. I think it was like it was like Chino or San Quentin or something like that. And while he's inside, he clicks up with the, with the white gang, and they ask him to do something, and he ends up he ends up in a killing somebody in a fight, and he, get, he gets seven years. So he goes from one year to seven, and it's about his transformation from this guy who is just a, a regular old, like dude who has a job and a family and all that to insurance salesman yeah, to become a like a shot caller in prison. <laughs> and and what I took away from that movie, though, when I watched it, is, I mean, it's, it's a great movie. Um, the, the lead actor is the guy who plays Jamie Lannister. I can never remember his name. Uh, but one of the, the things I, I, I took away from it was like, yo, imagine going out. Totally, like, it's not like he was drunk and got into the accident. It was just, uh, it, he just happened to have a BAC when he he did and that's how your life goes down the shitter is you had a few glasses at one completely not not impaired whatsoever but things just there's a, it's a coin flip i think about this this idea of coin flip a lot it, it, well humans are adaptable too mm-hmm. right you you could take a human and put them in the insurance business and they have some path and, and depending on their personality, the environment, like all these different things they adapt and uh, I, I think of it as like uh, they're playing a role in the movie. Yeah. Right in the movie of life of like you ever like meet somebody and you're like, bro, you could have done could have seven done other different things and you're here and you got the suit and tie on, but like you do not want to be wearing that suit and tie right now. I got a good friend. One day he was actually my best friend growing up when we were kids in the because I lived in two projects. Uh, I lived in anybody who's from Pittsburgh they'll recognize these names, but I'm you know give them because they're important. Uh, from from birth to eight years old, I lived in the Hill District projects up in Addison Terrace. Then we moved to Northview Heights, and that's where I lived until I was eighteen. Those are both projects. But my friend, when I was a kid, was this kid, uh, who, very similar. Like, like it, with, you know, the, the world's strange, man. We we were good friends. His birthday was a week before mine. I don't know if you're in astrology or anything like that. <laughs> but no, we 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 were really good friends. And then we split off. We we kind of stayed in touch, and then. I didn't hear from him for years, and his social media made it easy to get in touch. And he, uh, I reached out to him, and we, we connected and sort of talking, and life was good. And but the first time we met up, we met up at a bar, and he was kind of out of it. And then I didn't hear from him again for like two years, and then we we linked up again, and he was like, "Oh, I want to apologize for how I was the last time we met." I was, uh, he, I think he was like detoxing or something because he was just about to go to jail because he managed to become uh, one of the most, uh, well, a powerful, one of the most powerful drug dealers in the city by sheer luck and some sloppy police work when they when they busted him. Uh, they, they busted him. They were waiting to catch him with all the drugs and house, everything to put him away. And and I think they jumped the gun or something. This is the story he told me. And they when they made the raid, he was out doing the re-up and was able to to discard the product. So when they 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 pinched him, he didn't have any, a bunch of a bunch of weight on him. And and when he was telling me, because one day he just sat down like and I recorded it. It was a cool conversation. He was telling me everything how he moved from like 
weed to heroin, how he started in high school selling and everything, how it all worked. And I'm listening to this and I'm and I'm watching him now because he's still got the same personality mm-hmm. and talents and gifts. And I'm just like, man, you could have been anything. Mm-hmm. But where you ended up and and what was around you, you took your acumen and your skills for leading people and, and you became the plug. And I was like, wow, that's crazy to me. Just listening because now he's that now he he's doing it's funny man how this this stuff works. It works now he's doing uh substance abuse recovery work, helping mm-hmm. people get off the stuff. And has also got his music on the side. He works and everything. And, and I, I, I think it's really cool when you mention that, that there, there are people who can do anything. And I, I think about my friend in the same bro because if we had stayed together and I had moved and I'm coming up with him, I mean, I have, I naturally, for whatever reason, we all come out a little different. I naturally have a little more regard for the law and a little more fear of its consequences. Uh, but I could have ended up right next to him, mm-hmm. uh, and we we could have been running and ruling things together. But I don't I don't know. I'll yeah. never know because I I went down a slightly different path, and that little divergence made a big difference. It, it also <clears throat> makes me think of um, Jay Z's got a new verse on uh, uh, DJ Khaled's uh, album uh, God Did, and in it he basically uh, is talking about the fact that he used to sell drugs. And now he's like, now they got weed in the stores. He's like, how crazy is that? Right? Like just 20, 30 years ago, you could get locked up. You could go to jail. Your your entire life could be derailed. For something that now you go and look at the grocery store. Like the Apple store now, man. You go. (laughs) Wild, right? And then you look at the hypocrisy of, um, you know, all this talk around Brittany Griner uh, being locked up in Russia. And now there's a lot of um, complexity sensitivities, geopolitical chess. I mean, yeah. there's a lot going into it. But at the end of the day, what we're talking about is a substance that she's locked up for there. And we've seen multiple people come out and say, wait a minute, we got people locked up for similar shit here in the United States, right? And so like, is it hypocritical? Is it, no, it's the geopolitical sensitivity that's playing into it? Like you, you start whoa, thinking whoa, about whoa. it. It's like, wait a minute, we got people in cages for plants. Yeah, well, one of the things, you know, and- and I, I keep meaning to like do a deep dive on this because I have an intuition based on what I've experienced growing up that that, that informs this opinion. But I haven't done a deep dive into the numbers, so I always like to to preface that so people don't think I'm I'm just talking out my ass and don't know what I'm talking about. I am, but it's based on my experience. And if the numbers contradict me, then the numbers are right. A lot of those people in jail f- for for weed, they're not in jail <laughs> just some weed. Um, one of the things that happens when you when you sell an illegal substance is you don't you don't have the protection of the law, so you have to compete differently. And a lot of those competition methods, well, those are problematic, especially when we start talking about big weight, always just or. or uh, Anything that is hard, you know, like what they consider hard drugs, you know, when you, when you pretty much like, you know, the Coke and its derivatives, crack, mm-hmm. right? So uh, that's like a different thing. People go, you know, we, we can debate the, the difference between the laws on Coke and crack, but that's a different argument because no one is going, okay, Coke's legal. We should be releasing the crack dealers. Talking about the weed. I don't, you know, unless you, if you're moving big way, yeah, you know, then we, we start looking at your your case and go, should you be out? You you should be, not a not even a doubt. Should we be removing stuff off people's records? Absolutely. 
that is a big problem. But I don't think there's, there are people who are doing big big sentences, like football numbers in jail. I don't think there are people doing anything like that because— Just for Just for weed. weed. Uh, and just and even just moving, uh, I don't I don't remember what the um the the amount difference is for distribution versus uh you know consumption or something like that. But I I know that <laughs> you know I don't even think even in even in the the early two thousands where I would be like mostly aware of it. And it wasn't just like a thing mm-hmm. in the background noise in my life as I was when a kid. I don't think anyone was really. I mean, you had to get caught with a with a lot of stuff, but with a, with enough to where they were like, "Where do you? You're not smoking this all on your own, you know, <laughs> pretty much." And that was that was the big deal. The, the that, one that always cracks me up is when uh, they arrest somebody and they're like, "He had a lot of money on him." I'm like, "Okay, how much is a lot?" Right, right. right. <laughs> and they're like, "He has seven hundred dollars," and I'm like, "I know a lot of people that got seven hundred dollars in their pocket when they're walking around." Right. Like, I also know a lot of people who don't have seven hundred dollars in their pocket, but like. You know whatever the the amount is, but then there's the people who are like, well, we caught him. He has seventy five thousand dollars in like, okay, cash in right. ones. At some point, okay. it's like, well, what are you doing with that? You so, know? so I, I think the other piece that that's fascinating about this is um, there's a book, and, and I've mentioned it a couple times now uh, on the show because uh, is less about what's in the book as much as how the book came together. But it's written by Robert Green, the guy who wrote Forty Laws of Power, Human Nature, all yeah, and Fifty Cent. Yeah, the 50th laws. I, I got that. You book, got that? Man. All right. When I, when I so first thing is it looks like the Bible. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they got it all. They got the gold pages. They got the whole thing, right? But what's fascinating about that book is Robert Greene is writing the way that he's always written in a, a, a very eloquent, articulate, uh, kind of uh, theoretical sense. And then he juxtaposes it to 50 Cent's life. And what you realize is like, 50 Cent and his lived experience is very similar to what Robert Greene is talking about. They just use completely different language, and they had never had any clue that the two of them existed until Robert wrote a book and 50 Cent reached out to him and all this stuff. But it's like, man, that tells you a lot about society right there. Human nature is is, is the same. You know, I was just I was just I made a tweet about this. And someone commented something interesting that I agree. And he, uh, the the tweet was about, you know, I don't think that people need to get their ass kicked for disrespecting people, but I, but I do think you need to be aware that there's a penalty for disrespect, and usually the deterrent, you know, that 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 penalty is enough to deter people from acting like assholes. Okay. And, and that's like the whole idea that, you know, Mike Tyson has said, like, you know, people have gotten way too comfortable with disrespecting people from behind social media because no one thinks they're going to get punched in the face. And and look, I'm not, I'm not a pro-violence guy. In fact, I'm probably probably the most peaceful fighter you're ever going to meet. But people who know how to conduct <laughs> violence are pretty much I'm, pacifists I'm, yeah. until it's time to, well, because to I, do Because I know how bad it can get and how yeah. quickly, right? With that said, somebody said something real interesting, and I was like, "Yeah, that makes sense." And he goes, "You know, he goes a lot of a lot of the societies were were civilized because men got together and were like, okay, if we make these mistakes, we're going to kill each other, and that's not good for anybody. So let's come up with a set of rules and to make it real clear and a set of conduct uh, expectations for conduct." So it's very clear when someone's being disrespectful and what they expect for that 
confrontation, right? Which was pretty much eliminates. This is why I hate passive aggression. I mean, I really think it's a weak thing to do because what passive aggression tries to do, it tries to get the benefit of a conflict without without the without paying the price for it. You know, it tries to it try to make you know get a jab man or get something you know snarky or whatever. And but but you do it in such a way to where it's not obvious that you you're doing it or try to. So when somebody freaks out, you you maintain plausible deniability. Well, you know, in a in a um depending on your perspective, more primitive or more advanced society, you wouldn't be able to do that. You have to speak clearly and make your point, otherwise you just get ignored or you don't have one. And if you make a point and it is in disagreement with someone else's, you gotta express that in a certain way, otherwise you're inviting trouble. There's certain things you just don't do, those invite trouble, you know? So I, I think about that that a lot. The wording uh, changes because because we all use a different language and a different vernacular. You know, our lexicon is filled with different words and things like that to describe the same thing that we're observing. We're all observing human nature. We just come up with different words for it. So you know, Robert Greene and his education and his writing and Fifty Cent with his lived experience, they both have seen the same thing. And have different words to describe it, but it overlays perfectly. And then, it, and then, because it's from two different perspectives, you create. It's not one plus one equals two. It's like one plus one equals seven. Yeah. And you get an even deeper uh, and wider perspective on these things. This episode is brought to you by Bullish. They've reinvented the digital asset exchange. They give you access to DeFi features like automated market making and liquidity pools in a regulated environment. It's a whole new way to generate alpha. Bullish's total trading volumes have exceeded $25 billion just in the seven months since it launched. And their industry-leading order depth means you can trade confidently when you want, at scale with better pricing and lower risk, all within a regulated market environment. Good reason to be bullish. Learn more at bullish.com slash pomp and follow at bullish on Twitter today. This episode is brought to you by Sigma. The bridge between iGaming, online sports betting, and emerging technology such as blockchain, NFTs, fintech, GameFi, Metaverse, and AI is loud and clear. The largest global summit of its kind is heading to Malta from November 15th through the 17th. Over 1,000 exhibitors and 25,000 industry leaders will be there, including top executives from DraftKings, Bet365, crypto exchanges, betting software providers, operators, gaming affiliates, and more. Log on to AIBC.world and Sigma.world to see our upcoming global summits. See you in Malta November 15th to 17th for the leading global event in gaming and emerging tech. This is Sigma. Go to Sigma.world today. That book specifically talks about fear. And one of the things that I've seen you say, uh, which I just cracked me up and I was like, damn, that is so true, is you said something to the effect of uh, there's somebody out there with half your IQ who's accomplishing 10x what you are because they're not smart enough to doubt themselves, <laughs> which is just like, yes. Like, talk a little bit more about wh- why did you think that was so uh, uh, su- such an important point? Because you, you get a lot of people who everything is planning, 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 planning. Planning, 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 but the execution, because the execution is where you get to find out, is it a good idea or not? That's where you face rejection. I'm I'm working with a kid right now. Uh, He has been training fighting. He's been in the gym, going to, going like a real MMA in boxing for four years. How many fights do you think this kid got? Zero. No fights. And I'm like, what are you doing? 
Like, like, do you do you want to fight or do you want to just say you train to fight? If, if it's if it's the you know the latter, cool. It's cool. What, what are we talking for? But you want to fight, so go fight. Now you go sub novice, and every time we talk, you know it's he's got he's got a reason why he hasn't done it yet. And I'm like, no, just take the fight. Just do it. And when, when you notice that a lot of people live like that, because execution is scary. Mm-hmm. Every every idea is a good idea in your head. And there are some people who are not able to deal with the idea that perhaps it's not the best idea. Perhaps reality is going to go, you know, let's go back to the drawing board with this one. Mm-hmm. It's terrifying. Represent like like, like it, it represents so much of what we're afraid of: wasted time, rejection, embarrassment. But the people who get far, they're the ones that embrace that. In fact, you know, one, one of my favorite sayings is: "Look, when you're living true to yourself, you you look forward to being rejected because that is that's the most efficient way <laughs> to cut out the fluff. When someone like like when you know it is not a good idea, when you know it's not going to work, when you know." And then you know that because the, the market says, yo, this is some bullshit. Uh, you can go back with it. But if you take it personally, you'll never do it. And that's the problem. People take it personally. You ever, so, heard, you ever heard the story of Elon Musk uh, when they started Boring Company? No. So he's at SpaceX. And uh, at some point, putting tunnels becomes a topic of discussion. And uh, my theory is that they're practicing – for Mars, because they believe that we're going to have to uh, be underground for some period hmm. of time. And so if you want to get good at uh, doing tunnels on Mars, you probably should start on Earth. Uh, but other people say it's because of traffic or whatever the, the, the reasoning is. But uh, they're talking about it. And he basically says to a room of engineers or whatever, he says, uh, all right, figure out, uh, you know, could we dig a tunnel? And so they talk for a few minutes or whatever. I suppose if somebody says to him, uh, all right, I, I think we could figure this out. And he goes, uh, when can we get started? And, say, uh, <laughs> and they say, uh, it takes us about two weeks. And it's on Friday. And he says, how about you go out in the parking lot right now and see how far you get by Sunday? And they, got, <laughs> and they literally, within two hours, they were out in the parking lot digging a hole in the ground to see how big of a hole they could dig. And it's like two weeks to most people would be it's like, fast. damn, we're moving. And he was like, right this fucking second, go outside in the parking lot. Don't worry about permits. Don't worry about getting equipment. Just go outside with whatever we got and see how far we could dig by Sunday. And that, look, this is something I struggle with too. That's speed of implementation. Because, because look, the, the, the sooner you do it, the, the sooner you get it. And look, it might be a great idea. By itself, you don't need to add anything else. You might discover something you didn't even that you you we can come over. Come, I always used to think about this and uh when they when they're doing quality uh, uh testing for video games like how they they figure out all the ways this can go wrong. <laughs> I always wondered that. What is it? They have a bunch of beta testers. They like they know they know how it should work right based on their design and what they mm-hmm. think. And even even with their simulations, but until you get real people when they're testing and going, they have no idea, and that's why there's the, that testing period. They discover and fix these things. It's the same way with anything that goes on in your head. You you get to it. You you just get it out there and go quick. And and look, I I am not the biggest offender anymore. I'm getting better, 
But the, that planning phase is to to say overrated is incorrect because you you need something, but you need a lot less, especially when the, especially when the cost for failure is so low. You know, it's not like it's not like heart surgery. Like this is a pretty big, <laughs> big penalty if you you know you go in there, you get a bunch of people, and you're going to figure this out. Oh, now let's, get the, let's get the butter knife and we'll just see what happens. <laughs> but but when it comes to something like like starting a, a company or writing or not even something like that, you know, just start a website. You want to write, start a website, right? Just get it out there because the cost of you making a mistake. Is so low, but what you learn, the experience you get is so high that there, there really isn't a better way. Mm-hmm. What are you going to do? Go study writing for four years and with your degree, oh, now I'm qualified. Right now, it doesn't work that way. Real world, I, I think that's one of the biggest changes in the real world now is that we have moved from your, your credentials mattering to you watching people who know a lot less in the same field that you study making real big moves. I mean, it would it would absolutely I don't, I don't even know how one gets here, but uh I would I would just be sitting there kind of kind of hot if I'm watching if I, if I studied marketing for 4 years at a at a college paid like $120,000 and I come out and there's this 19-year-old kid just figured out all I got to do is make some catchy videos on TikTok and put a link in the description. Hold up. <laughs> you know? If you think about it, that is mm. right now, I think a lot of uh, street versus the boardroom. Like my, mm. my entire, not my entire worldview, but a lot of my worldview is informed by those two things, which is the, there's the street approach, there's the street mentality, there's the street, you know, like all these different components to life. And then there's the boardroom. And what does a boardroom do? They plan. What does a street yeah. do? Action, right? Boardroom, they sit there and they say, okay, well, you need the credentials. You need this. The street says, hey, you got the product or do you not? Right. <laughs> I mean, it's like it's like a very different view of the world, but, that, but marketing is a great example. I actually think today the person who is able to, I don't know, take a Twitter account or a TikTok account or whatever – and then say to a company, hey, in three months, I went from nothing to 50,000 followers. Yep. Here's the engagement, all this stuff. And another person shows up and says, I went to Harvard for marketing. I bet you the company picks the uh, the person who's at doing it. At least the company should. Yeah. You yeah, know, yeah, yeah, at least they should. <laughs> like like my website, you know, the Google has been Google. And what that means is that w- once the technology really became viable to implement Mass like like we've always we've always had to, to my understanding uh, GPT three or something mm-hmm. to that effect uh, pretty much the predictive kind of this is what the, the ability to write and the ability to read and kind of figure out what words mean quickly and and that's like a, a combination of a huge database. And processing power, and then I guess on the on the last end you need um, some conduit like like fast internet, right? Okay, so so you see this with, with Google Translate, and that's what Google Translate does, and how it gets better, and how it kind of figures out the difference between regions, and 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 that's why like you can you can type something in today, and get one translation, and in six months get a better one because it is in a sense learning, and. This and I and I bring this up to say that is the basis, as I understand it, for 
uh, a lot of the updates Google has made to the algorithm for its its searches. You know, they go in there and tweak what they want it to, to emphasize and downgrade. Like, for example, it made a, a big adjustment back in 2019 or 2018 where, you know, if you were talking about health stuff, but you didn't have the, the credentials behind it, like it was a .edu or a .gov or or some uh, like WebMD or something like that, you know, you, you were downright because they're like, yo, these people, you know, have credibility. You're just this site. Let's figure it out. No matter how well it's written. Why'd I bring all this up? These changes wiped out a lot. There were a lot of people that enjoy, you know, had their websites and blogs. People were complaining that these changes, you know, disrupted everything because it wasn't just like, that's just the field I used medicine, mm-hmm. but you know, the like finance, uh, it took hits too. all of these. Well, I'm I'm not gonna give up because, because that's my site. We we took a hit, man. We we did. I was cruising along, about to crack twenty thousand followers for visitors per month, organic, and then we just got we got dinged. And I was like, all right, what are we gonna do? Well, I'm gonna learn SEO. I'm gonna learn the street way though, which pretty much what I did, man. Because everything in my mind, I'm actually like putting it together now so I can teach somebody directly, and then from there I'll probably produce a product. But but I, I learned a lot about how SEO works because I had a vested interest in having my site my site work. And on the last I checked, you know, this is over three years almost now, but been figuring out, taking different things, learning, seeing what works, what doesn't, and figuring out tools. Well, now it's 60,000 visitors per month organic. Uh, and that is because I didn't give up, and it continues to, to bump and bump and go up. But it's all from... It's all from that street approach. Mm-hmm. I, I, in fact, I didn't take any classes until, like, and even someone's course. I didn't. I didn't do anything probably until the last three months. When I was well on my way up, but I was like, "Oh, let's let's learn, see if there's anything I don't know, because I've been I've been figuring out a lot here. Let's see if who you know who else knows what." And I think that's really the best approach. Even learning learning works this way. I think great too, because. Because uh, every time I come to Miami, I'm reminded of sometimes I feel good about my Spanish and other times I'm just like, okay, <laughs> right? Uh, but but the way, you know, I discovered a method on, on YouTube and I was like, wow, this guy's brilliant. He put together this thing where he made, where he took himself to fluent in French and Spanish in 45 days, right? Wow. Now, now he did it devoted eight hours per day. Which I don't, you know, have, but you look at it and you can pull a lot from it. And one of the things I took from it, this was so cool. Uh, one of the things you do, you sit and you tell a story very personal to you. All you just need to have the ability in the language to construct a sentence. And when you don't know the word you want to use for the story, you write that down. You put it in the translate. You pop it in an Anki deck so you can read, re, uh, review it, review it. And then you come back and you just keep trying to tell the same story, tell the same story, tell the same story until it feels, until you can go through the whole story. And and a funny thing happens with this very simple bump into the wall method as opposed to studying different things. Uh, one, you've got a working vocabulary that is personal to you because you're telling a story. Like like, like the first story I put together was like like the first date with, with, with me and my wife now. And I'm like, Oh, now I know these words. I, I thought I, I knew when I didn't know, but but now I have it because it's very personal to me. And then the tense of speaking and all that. But I picked it up from bumping into the wall. Okay, 
that's that's so much better than how we typically go about mm-hmm. teaching language, which is go and learn some grammar and hear a bunch of sentences that mean nothing to you. So why would you remember them? Like, like you know, even do I love Duolingo. Duolingo is based in Pittsburgh. I, I better love <laughs> Duolingo, right? Uh, even Duolingo, like because it's, it's just an interface and it's good for some things. They no method can do this. Where you have where you put together a vocabulary and an approach that, that's that's valuable to you that has that has meaning to you, and when you do that, combined with just trying to bump into the wall, trying to talk to people and use these words, then you really and then you start to feel confident, and then, then you then you can go okay, let me look at a book because I'm like man, I have no idea how to how to use the the imperfect for this verb, mm-hmm. and let me go look this up now. But you you get a feeling that you, you need something like what you do for there, uh, but for, for a new situation and you know how to find it. So bumping into the wall, street method, however you want to call it. I call it bumping into the wall, but yep. I think I'm going to start calling it the street method. Uh, is a it, lot better. I've always thought of these people as uh, Googlers. Now, that term was uh, co-opted by the company Google. That's what they call their employees or Googlers. <laughs> but put that aside for a second. They got the pinwheel Didn't hats. Didn't know that. I'm going to have to remember that because. Yeah, yeah they call themselves Googlers. <laughs> uh, and they got the, uh, you, you ever seen, uh, I forget what the uh, uh, what the comedy sh- uh, movie is, but uh, they got the pinwheel hat, you know, like the multicolored hat. And he's got the little thing that spins at the yeah, top. That's, uh. that's real. They give those to the Googlers uh, on campus. <laughs> um, but uh, uh, I was thinking Googler as you ever like hang out with somebody and uh, they, they're just constantly on their phone or their computer, but it's everything you talk about. They don't know something. They immediately just yep. go and they look it up. I love those people. It's right? so much. We have <laughs> like the world's knowledge at your fingertips. <laughs> I, I love this man because I'm always in awe of technology. Like, like I never stop being in awe of the world I'm, I'm in. I mean, we, we were in Juno and I just was watching the planes come and I was like, man, we figured out how to put a metal tube that weighs tons into the air full of people. So, and, and stuff like that just, it makes me feel in awe. Like whenever I read about uh, old cities and I'm like, man, we have sanitation and plumbing. Like you can like go to the bathroom and it's not going to end up on the street. Like that's cool. One of the things that just amazes me is that we have this handheld, handheld, not this big old room, a handheld device. And in that handheld device, you are simultaneously connected to every other human on the planet who has one, and we and they all have one because you need them now. And the whole sum of human knowledge is at your disposal. All you have to do is develop the skills to ask the right questions, and Google has a commercial incentive to make sure they figure out how to best pair your your question with the best answer. And if they didn't, you know, if you, if you really wanted to dig deep, you just go on the dark web or figure things out, things like that. But there's so many resources and so many ways. Like, like there's no reason to not know anything. It's crazy. You know, like, every time someone goes, I, I'm not sure. Oh, let me just look it up. And there are very few situations where it's inappropriate to pull my phone out and look it up. So... There's no, there's no reason to ever like doubt facts, and then you know, and then from there, and people go, oh, that makes the quite the conversation drop. Like, no, 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 no. We don't have conversations to discuss and swap facts. We have conversations to to connect and and see perspectives and and understand one another. It puts the focus back on the conversation. Why you have it if you don't have to debate a fact, and it also adds clarity. Sports is the place where you see this the most. People start debating each <laughs> yep. other and they're pulling all the stats, right? And just, whatever. Um, the other thing uh, around technology, uh, I'm reading a book right now called The Rise and Fall of American Growth, which is 
absolutely uh, the worst book if you want to be entertained, but it's full, it's you know, <laughs> 700 pages of super dense information all about the economy and, and all this stuff. And somebody recommended it to me and, and I've enjoyed it so far. But the reason why I enjoy it is the lessons are pretty simple. Like his argument is basically uh, economists think that economies grow forever uh, as long as no one touches them. I disagree. Like that's, that's basically, true. he wrote 700 <laughs> pages on it, right? But the book is littered with all these super interesting facts. So one of them is uh, in like 1908, the Ford Model T comes out. Uh, it was $950. By 1923, 15 years later, they'd gotten the cost down 70%, like $269. Wow. Well, they used a uh, a manufacturing method where there was a line of people who were manufacturing the product and you just did the doors, right? And mm-hmm. like, okay, well, that's how we manufacture everything today. There was literally somebody who pioneered that, implemented it, and now that is how manufacturing is done. Then they talk uh, in the book, I think it's like 1870 or so, uh, which we think of like the 1800s, <laughs> 150 years ago, yeah. right? All homes were completely disconnected from the world. You had an outhouse. You had water that you had to go get. Like, like you had to be self-sufficient. By 1940, which again, sounds like kind of a crazy thing, but it was only 70 years, pretty much all homes in any urban area had water, gas, electricity. Like they were hooked up now, right? Or what wow. they call networked. And so you think, man, 70 years. When someone was born, it was self-sufficient, completely unconnected world. Before they died- Everything was completely different. And so you're like, okay, like that's a lot of change. But then he makes an argument where he says, the speed of transportation has not changed since 1950. When we went from the stagecoach to automobiles, automobile is not like all of a sudden we're all going 200 miles an hour, right? Like they pretty much have been going the same speed, you know, since the 50s. Okay. Planes, the Boeing 707 is the example he uses, like 1953 or whatever. Uh, goes about the same speed. That's it's not true. like we're making these, you know, <laughs> 10x improvements over what is now 70 years in the speed of transportation. And so his point is basically like, there's very compacted time where there's immense innovation, uh, uh, inventions, progress, like all these changes. And we go like really long periods of time and nothing happens. And so for you and I, we think about like Google's like a fucking crazy thing. Right. Yeah, that's <laughs> and it is around information and technology, you know, like this information technology world. But if we actually sat here and we're like, what are the major innovations that we've seen in like the physical world over the last, you know, 50 years? Sure, Tesla with the electric car. Like we can come up with a couple. A right? few, yeah. Self, the smartphone versus a dumb phone, like, you know, like shit <laughs> like that, right? Okay, I got it. But not like the invention of fucking electricity. Right. Right. In fact, I think the last thing like the invention of electricity would be like the internet, right? And and even that is still like a digital thing. Yeah. Now it helps, right? And this is where it gets kind of a nuanced conversation because the internet obviously drastically uh, uh, kind of created innovation in all these industries and, and all this stuff. But like it is interesting to think about how many inventions happened in a certain period of time. And then if you think today, like, it's not like you and I wake up every day and we're like, damn, somebody created, you know, (laughs) (laughs) like we get super excited over like pretty small stuff now. And so it leads to this conversation around like, yeah, everything is digital where all the innovation is happening. Are you, are you bumping to, to the, this is a new problem. And it's one that like, 
when you you talk about it, it's like of course, but then until you you run into it, you're like, wow, this is really a thing. There are no there are no physical mediums anymore that people distribute like like, we're, like pretty much the age of physical medium for for distributing entertainment is over at least in terms of, because we went from in my in our lifetime VHS mm-hmm. DVD and then they were like yo we can hook you up with the illegal copies I mean, you're downloading 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 Bluetooth or in blue Blu-ray, Blu-ray, not Bluetooth, Blu-ray. And then full circle because now everything's digital, so now everything is hidden behind, like, mm-hmm. and now that's much easier to secure. Like, good luck trying to trying to download stuff. Now, I mean, sure you can, but you really got to be about that life. It's not like hopping on LimeWire <laughs> or, or BitTorrent, you know, where anyone could Bro, do it. LimeWire like, nah. was a fucking lottery. <laughs> you didn't get yeah. in the file. You getting the virus. You didn't know what you You didn't know what you was getting. <laughs> But now, you know, it blew my mind. I, I was thinking about, because we, we went to a, um, just to watch a local band perform. And afterwards, they were selling merch, selling copies of their work, and they had CDs. And I was like, where the hell am I going to play this? <laughs> like, I never thought about that before. It was like, oh, yeah. do you have the tape? Then it, We've been around long enough to go, oh, do they have the tape version? I don't have a CD player yet. To, oh, I'll get the CD, but do you have the MP3? Now it's like... There's only really one way to get this. Don't don't give me a CD. What am I do with this? Like I can't. My 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 MacBook doesn't have one. My whole there's no none of my. You gotta get an extra piece of hardware yeah, to have to play the old because they're like, why would we have that? That that's that's old. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know well, the the other uh, the other piece I think a lot about. Um, uh, I, I'm assuming based on our conversation that uh, you read a decent yeah. amount. Uh, do you read physical books? You got Kindle, you do audio books. How do you consume? So, books? okay. So it, it depends on what I'm reading. I okay. will not read fiction on, on my, um, Kindle or my phone. Okay. Right? But nonfiction I do because it's just easier to take notes and then transfer those notes out. And then, and then on top of that, I love this little thing you do on your Kindle where you highlight a section and you can write what you're thinking and type that in. And that really helps me absorb the information and really helps me learn it. But I won't read fiction that way. I think fiction is, fiction is a special thing. And, and if we, if we consume it that way, I think we rob the specialness of it, which is, which is one, it's not a note-taking medium. It's mm-hmm. not even the thing you highlight. I mean, maybe, yeah, maybe you like see a quote you really like, but then you just go remember and write it down. But because I'm reading it in a physical book, then I know it is this thing I can take with me and immerse myself into. But when I read on my Kindle, I'm automatically thinking, all right, there's probably going to be some information I'm going to like take down. So I'm not not reading it with the with the undiluted focus that I sh- that I you know approach my fiction with. I don't read fiction, so I can't speak to that. Oh, <laughs> well, he, he, here's uh, going back to our conversation around. Uh, uh, I read a lot, yeah. but I know what I'm good at. And I know what I'm not. And for fiction, whatever reason, I just it, it's like a lack of interest, which I, is probably makes me less well rounded. But well, you're that's just what, cool. That, that is what it is, right? <laughs> but the reason why I bring this up, uh, three four months ago. Uh, up until then, I pretty much read everything, either some sort of Kindle type device or whatever, or audiobooks. I did a lot of audiobooks. Mm-hmm. I sat down, I tried to read the physical book. My head hurt. I couldn't concentrate. No kidding. And I, it like pissed me off. I was like, what do you mean I can't sit and just read a book? I literally could not read the book. 
my, my head started hurting, my eyes were hurting, like all stuff. And, and my eyes hurt sometimes just like the fluorescent lights or whatever, right? But like, I was like, this is bullshit. <laughs> like, I, like, I was like mad at myself, right? So for the last like three, four months, I only will read the physical books now. I've like forced myself to be able to read the physical books now. And uh, so over the weekend, um, I was on a flight and uh, I listened to audiobook. First time I listened to it, I felt like I was on crack. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh shit, this is 2X speed. Like I was blowing through this book, right? But then what it goes back to is like, I don't know if retention wise, like maybe I get like 90% retention out of the physical book. Maybe it's like 75% out of audio. So it's like, it's pretty similar, but definitely a little less on, on audio. Um, but the physical book, it, it made me think, I was like, all this technology, all this information at our fingertips, all these things, like the physical book made my head hurt. Yeah. And all we hear about is how the computers are going to make our heads and our eyes hurt. I, it blew my mind. So there's some, there's some, some interesting, I guess, you know, weak, maybe weak, maybe strong correlations, mm-hmm. whatever, right? But we, we talk about there's this rise in ADHD mm-hmm. diagnosis. And it's like, and it doesn't really make sense when you look at it. It goes, okay, we've known about this thing forever. And all of a sudden, uh, skyrocketing, um, skyrocketing the m- amounts of diagnoses. And, and I only know about this in context to a speech I gave about uh, how how boys are treated like kind of like defective girls in, in the school system. And one of the, the points I raised and well, how I found that data was that this raise in ADHD, boys are represented four to five times more uh, than girls. But, but you know, it's a rising tide on all, all fronts. Mm-hmm. And I think about this a lot in terms of screens because although we're, we're looking at this thing and and in an ideal world, you know, we're just focusing on pulling it in. I think by nature, what what screens do, you know, with the notable exception, you know, being if you read your Kindle that way. Um, well, no, screen even with the Kindle because you can swipe. Screens allow you to change the speed. They allow you to be distracted. Typically, however you want to be. They they change how you bring in the information, and if you're still bringing in the information, that means something has to fundamentally change about how you're processing it. And when you go back to a book without those things, I think my guess would be that it's 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 like uh, it's like the opposite of training with weights on, and then you go take the weights off. Well, you go on faster. I'm like, yeah, it's great because you're in control of it. But if you remove all these stressors. Uh, then you can't, in fact, here's a great analogy. And I just thought about this. There's this great book called the epidemic of absence, nonfiction. If you want to check it out, the basic, (laughs) the basic thesis of the epidemic of absence is that, uh, our immune systems evolved in a hostile environment, full Mm -hmm. of pathogens, full of disease, full of filth, whatever. Right. And now that, that we don't have that, we live in a clean society. You see, that's why you see this rise of allergies because the, the immune system is like, yo, I need to, I need to give me something, right? That looks, that's a protein. It looks kind of like the other proteins and viruses and bacteria. I'll attack it. And so you get your allergies to, you know, shellfish Mm -hmm. and eggs and milk, et cetera. Right. And that's the other thing. And like the author goes and, and like infects, himself with a tapeworm and, and tamps down his allergies to his hay fever and stuff like that. But um, I think about that a lot, especially in, in, in this context, which is 
we have this, our immune system didn't take a break. It didn't change. Our environment changed and it was like, I'm going to attack something else. And that thing is typically helpful to you, but it looks close enough like what I'm used to dealing with. Let me go do something. Let's take that uh, that that uh, analogy and and we we use it for for reading. You get used to pulling in your information just right there in front of your face. You devote all your mental activity to it because that's what you'd have to do to read. I don't mean like I think reading with music on is probably a relatively new thing, but but I can see how uh, it's it's possible without it interfering too much. But I know like I have trouble reading, especially like especially uh, music with with words, words in it. I couldn't do it. I looked this up recently because <laughs> I thought to myself as I was trying to figure out the book. I said, I wonder if uh, it's better or worse. And as you just alluded to, with words, uh, scientifically is shown it distracts your brain, it, it, it screws up your ability to read. Uh, uh, but even music without words, they say it gives it's like me classical trouble. music because yeah. of distraction. It gives me trouble. So, so like yeah. you, you have this method of pulling in information, total focus, and then you bring in a new method that by its very nature of design comes with a new, you're not turning pages, you're able to kind of skim, not as much as on in front of you at the same time as there would be with a, with a book. Uh, you, you have all these new things that aren't necessarily uh, improvements in the sense of they make you a better or more, more efficient reader, maybe faster, but not necessarily more efficient because your brain's like, well, I'm going to give you, uh, I got to do something. Give me something. And there's only so many words I can pull in here. All right, we're going to mess with your eyesight. <laughs> you know, uh, or we're going to we're gonna make you, um, every time you see something, you'll look it up immediately and get pulled out. And we know how long it takes for you to get your, your focus back when it's broken on something. And it's, so you, you may not even be able to focus as long as you used to be able to. Mm-hmm. Because your focus is now used to being broken up, broken up, broken up. Whenever you get a push notification or something like that, or you want to look something up or you want to highlight something, that's very unnatural to to, to highlight while you're reading. We're used to just pulling in information. But uh, this is all just my, my, um, I never put these two things together before, but in this conversation, putting these ideas together uh, that that that's my guess. That's yeah. what I would. That, that is, I think, or at the very least, that's an interesting explanation, and it's an easily testable one. What happens when you go back to reading uh, without? I enjoy the it more too, yeah, and you're able to you're able to focus a lot more. I'd imagine. Mm-hmm. This episode is brought to you by Valor, which represents what's next in the digital economy. They provide simplified, trusted access in crypto, decentralized finance, and Web three investment opportunities. Institutions and investors can gain diversified, secure, compliant, and easily tradable access to a diversified set of industry-leading equity products and protocols, all through a single stock purchase on a regulated exchange. They currently are listed in the U.S. under the DEFTF stock ticker and on the Canadian NEO exchange under DEFI. For more information or to subscribe to receive company updates and financial information, visit their website at valor.com. That's V-A-L-O-U-R.com. This episode is brought to you by Alto IRA. They can help you invest in Bitcoin and crypto in a tax-advantaged way. 
That helps you preserve your hard-earned money. Alto's Crypto IRA lets you invest in Bitcoin and over 200 other different coins and tokens, and it has all the same tax advantages of your traditional IRA. There's no setup or account fees, and it's all you need to do. Invest in crypto tax-free. Let me repeat that again. You can invest in Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies tax-free. So are you ready to take your investments to the next level? Diversify like the pros and trade without tax headaches. Open an Alto Crypto IRA to invest in Bitcoin and crypto tax-free. Go to altoira.com slash pomp. That's A-L-T-O-I-R-A dot com slash pomp. Start investing today. One of the science uh, research kind of paths that I find fascinating is um, there's a lot of work, uh, Stoics, there's uh, uh, Ryan Holiday's written books, like all the stuff around just like uh, uh, focus, stillness, like all this type of stuff can lead to uh, more idea generation or whatever. So if you basically sit for 30 minutes, why a lot of people get ideas in the shower, right? Because they're not doing anything else. Their mind kind of wanders. They think of something, whatever. But there's also a bunch of research around walking, <laughs> and so the walking becomes really interesting because uh, you could take a person and they aren't moving. That is the least, you know, kind of beneficial thing. And then the other extreme is that they're literally walking outside. But there's this middle ground. What about walking on like a treadmill, right? Mm-hmm. Or, or like, oh, you got these standing walking desks, whatever. It's actually shown that part of the value of walking to the brain is one, there's a physical component, but two is actually the movement forward. Mm-hmm. And so the research unlocks saying like, no, if you're going to no walk, kidding. like get your ass outside and walk, not mimic almost like a lab rat, you know, walking on the trail. Now it's better than sitting or, you know, just standing there. Uh, but the benefit to actually walking and moving through the environment, your brain does something different than just walking on like a treadmill stationary. It's fascinating. Not only that, and this is this is a, a rare case. I can remember the name of the author and not the book. I can't even see the cover of the book in my head. Weird. But Barbara Oakley is the the author, and she writes about learning. It might be that the science or learning something to that effect. I'm not sure. But Barbara Oakley is the is the author, and she talks about you the diffuse mind state versus the focus. And when we're focused, we're like trying. We're we're, we're like. Uh, the analogy she gave was was the focus is is you you're looking at each individual dot and trying to navigate around it and figuring it out and diffuse is where you step back and you see this whole pattern and you see the whole layout. You may not be thinking about how to get through it, but you're just absorbing it. Your brain's kind of working on the on the the process to get through it in the background. One of the things that walking does, showering does, doing anything else but working on the immediate problem does is that it lets. It lets you kind of step back. And it's always there. It's in the back of your mind. Otherwise, it's not important. But then when you're not thinking about it, that's when you make these connections that you couldn't see. Kind of like, you know, the the whole forest for the trees analogy. When you're looking at the individual trees, because you're trying to get out the forest, you don't realize the path, the, the most optimal path to follow unless you know it. But if you step back and you're, or step up in this case, or raise up and you're able to look down and see, you go, oh, the path is really clear. But now you're out the force. How are you going to communicate it mm-hmm. down? And hopefully you carry it. But it's, but it's only, uh, it's only in that diffuse mode that we make a lot of these these connections that we're able to see how things work and play together. Like, like I mean, I wasn't even thinking about the epidemic of absence, and I make this connection to reading, and those are two two fields that don't really. Well, why would they ever match? 
But, you know, because I, I was thinking and talking about this and this is in the background and that's like an analogy, kind of like a mental model that I that I use a lot that I find a lot of people don't have, which is that, you know, the, the idea that a thing has a purpose. And when you remove that purpose, the thing doesn't change. It just figures out another way to to do what it thinks it's supposed to do. These connections get made. It, it's um tool versus environment a mm-hmm. lot of times. Right. And uh, um. I, I always think of it uh, in the most extreme situations, right? So I, I just jumped to the extreme. So like, you take a gun and all the gun debate and all stuff that goes <laughs> on in America today, right? It's like, look, there's a lot of different tools, but uh, they can be used for good or bad. And uh, that doesn't mean necessarily that we shouldn't address the use of the tool or that certain people should have access or not have access or whatever. Like, you, like there's all this nuance. Mm-hmm. And you and I aren't going to solve this, whatever. But it always shocks me as to the level of uh, uh, elementary analysis. I was I was gonna say binary thinking. Yeah, ju- just <laughs> just like like yo, this is a tool. Like, can we all at least at least agree on that part, which mm. is a important almost building block to have a discussion around what should the rules yeah. be? And there's like a whole group of people who just like, nah, it's not a tool. Exactly, <laughs> and it's it's really hard here because. <sighs> You know, something when you when you learn is stats, something they tell you, and you just kind of take for face value. They tell you that intelligence is normally distributed. And you just take that for face value because most people are never going to have the the opportunity to verify that at all, to put it to the test. And and then you get on social media and you have a large following, a lot a lot of interactions, and you realize, holy shit, this is not only is this true, it might actually be exaggerated. Uh, and one of the, the the difficulties humans have, and I have no idea what like or if there's even an IQ level or something like that or a cutoff point, is is to consider contrary thoughts without being attached to uh, or or well, the ability to detach their personality from the thought. Their ego, because I think that's what what, what uh, inhibits a lot of constructive discussion is people. If I if I'm pro Second Amendment, and and I make you know guns a part of my identity, right? That's who I am. I can't entertain any discussion that might reduce my access to them or anyone else's access to them. I can't do it. Mm-hmm. If I see that as part of my personality and I'm not open to to any way to actually make um, make the world a better place by perhaps making, you know, perhaps by being more pro-gun. You know, as weird as that sounds, people go, okay, I'm going to have to give ground. Well, what if you don't have to give ground? What if the ground you think you're given actually makes your position stronger? You know, I'm I, like I have this talk all the time with people about, about guns. Guns is just a great way. <laughs> great it's the most extreme case, right? Well, not only is it the most extreme, it's it's really uh, an easily discussable one because we have so many examples and and so many, um, not just examples of when things go wrong or are right. Interestingly enough, though, for things to go right, they have to be wrong. But that's a a different discussion. But well, we also have a lot of different debates we've seen and, and have them pop up. But but if you if you entertain the idea, for example, this is I was man, funny how relevant these things happen. I was just having a discussion. I said, look, I'm I'm as pro gun as is as, as anyone, you know, can be. 
But I think if you're going to have a gun, you need to train with that thing. Have you ever, like, like have you really ever gone, and this, one of my instructors tells me this all the time, most people don't go to the range, and they need to go to the range. Because when I bring up, everyone goes, oh, they they, they cite your, your boy, I think it was down in Texas maybe, or Illinois, where he shot the guy who was going to do a shooting in the mall. Oh, and, and I think he in stopped Indiana. It. And I go, look, you got to understand, I don't know where that guy got his training or where he trained, but that is a trained dude. It's like 40 yards. He hit him like eight out of 10 shots. At 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 15 yards, the average person is not going to even hit the target, let alone uh, center mass. It's not happening. So, So all I proposed, I said, look. Everybody who has a gun, they should they should have to keep they should have to put in training hours. I really believe that. There shouldn't be walking around with something that can end a life with, with just that, with just pulling a trigger and you don't and you don't have to train with it. And the blowback I got on this idea. And they were like, I don't think people should have to train. I don't think people you know, if they if they, if they want to have a gun, it's our gun can run. I'm like, I'm not telling you to give up your guns. What I'm saying is you you'll actually be a better gun owner. Like you do you realize that? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and and it and it didn't they couldn't give any ground on everyone should have guns. I, I always like to ask people who seem to be uh kind of uh dug in on a topic, you know, so let's take a a, a very pro gun person. I would ask them, is there ever an instance where you think somebody should not own a gun? Yeah. Right? Like, like just like, just, just again, by the way, uh, they'll be like, no. I'm like, all right. So uh, if somebody has killed multiple people before, has a, a documented mental illness, like, they, you know, like just go to the extreme, right? Like, do you think that person have a gun? If they say yes, I'm done talking to you. Yeah. Right? Good point. Good and, then you, some point. and then you go to the other end, though, right? You say that the anti gun people, is there ever a situation where you think somebody should be allowed to own a gun? Yeah. And if they're like, no. My okay. Well, what happens if somebody is breaking into your house with your child? But you know, like all these different things, right? And and if they still say no, I don't think they should be able to defend themselves. Then okay, I'm done talking to that's you. That's actually, too. you know, that's a great great tactic. That's probably going to save me a lot because my, my my weakness on the I'm I'm one of the I would like to think anyhow. Uh, <laughs> I'm one of the more patient, respectful people on the internet. That that's changed a little bit, but but only because one of the cool things about about knowing you have a kid in a way is you start thinking about what's important. Yeah. And I'm like, your stupid opinion isn't important to me. I have no interest in changing it. <laughs> I do. That's relatively recent, but I'm sure it'll it'll go. I'll go back to my baseline. But I, I tend to give people the benefit of the doubt, and I, and I think overall that's a that's a good strategy because it allows me to at least have a conversation and see where they're at from a tactical perspective like I have a good strategy but that's a sound tactic to ask to, to start okay do you think there's ever an instance where you would change your stance okay well and then you give some like, nope well then we can save ourselves some time but if I, we can I, find that if we can find some ground we're like it, 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 I mean I guess that's common ground if we're like if we're, if we're gonna debate about guns and we can both find that common ground there are there's a situation where you should not have one okay now we can talk but if you're not even you know <laughs> it, it's basically it's my way to filter uh I, I just want to know I'm talking to a person who could have a rational conversation yeah that's right? a good way to go like like I have no interest in talking to irrational people where it's become a religion right or it's become like because you're I, I never going to get through to that. I don't talk to people and try to convince them to give up their religion. Right. right. <laughs> and, and, and if you do that, amazing. I feel uh, if that makes you happy, uh, that, that's great. I'm guessing the success re- uh, record of that is pretty low. Right. Yeah. And so 
if you then just say to yourself, like, cool, I just want to talk to people who uh, can see a little bit of nuance. That's okay. We don't agree. But at least I, it's like a good faith conversation where I know that, like, all right. Right. You, you you see a piece of the conversation that the most extreme in your camp don't see. And that then makes it at least worth the time to start a conversation. You know, always, man, body's conversations are great because once again, a another insight that just came to me that I never really made on my own. So, so, I, so I think that's that's a defining characteristic of of someone who would be considered extremist, at least to me, because I'm always I'm really fascinated with the idea of one, what makes a person extreme, and and two, do do people who are on their side but not as extreme see them as extreme or not? I, th- those are two really interesting uh, questions to me. And that that idea that, okay, you can, can you see a, a situation where your perspective is incorrect? Or at the very least, your, your perspective is inadequate, where there needs to be a modification. Uh, if you can't see that, then yeah, I think that would qualify as someone who's extreme. But the, but if you if you can see how it'll change and be my, you know, then it's it's different. And I think I think that's a really good. If, if I apply that filter to to a variety of social issues, not you know that, that we we face everything from from race to to religion, you know, to to abortion or guns. You apply that filter to to it, you you can pretty much suss out relatively quickly who the the extremists are and and who are the people who can have reasonable conversations. I think that if you take this exact same framework and during the debates on the political side, every candidate should have to answer what is one thing that your candidate believes that you agree with oh. that goes against your own party. And if you say nothing, you're disqualified. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right? Like, like to, to some degree, that just that alone, like what is something that the other person believes that you tend to believe more than what the standing, you know, kind of uh, well, line in the sand of the party is? <laughs> but, you know, uh, politics, at least in this country, they, they've done a really – it's almost. It would be impressive if it wasn't so destructive. They've made it so. So you know, there's the we'll just say left and right. There are the ideas on the left and the ideas on the right. Right, and the odds of you, you know, if you believe one idea on the left, the odds you believe in the other ideas are, are pretty high. Whether that's accurate or not is irrelevant. What is relevant is that I can typically, with some accuracy and consistency, uh, if I know how you feel on one thing, I know how you feel on a bunch of other things. Okay. They've weaponized this because now you can't if you're if, 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 let's say you're left leaning on on the abortion issue. Right. But you're a pro gun. Mm-mm. Pick one. You can't be both. Even though those things are not related, uh, you're either going to be a you, you got to decide. Are you going to go on everything for the left or everything on the right? But they're not going to let you mix and match. And the people who do that, they they almost in like an insult, almost like censure, censures, because because you know no one wants to be called a libertarian anymore because now they're trying to make that like, uh, oh, just just a, a way to be a right winger. 
That's what they they say because they don't they don't want that neutrality. You know, even even street gangs recognize neutrality, man. But not <laughs> not politics. The, the, the thing um, mm. that I do uh, believe is a very powerful force in politics right now, which no one is uh, 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 acknowledging or talking about, is the weaponization of extremism, mm-hmm. where there's pulling to the extremes, which I think people recognize that and they say, okay, X candidate or X uh, politician, they are on the extreme of that party, right? So we recognize that. But what people aren't yet talking about is the labeling of extremism. So the right-winger thing is like a perfect example where it doesn't matter what you actually believe, right? Like uh, uh, I've heard Joe Rogan talk about uh, the fact that they were like, oh, this right-leaning Republican, he's like, I voted for fucking Democrats my entire life. (laughs) Yep. And I don't know, maybe it's a nostalgia or whatever, but 20 years ago, if somebody came out and said, I am a Democrat, I vote for Democrats, I whatever, then like people are like, that's a Democrat. That doesn't happen now. It's all about the label. The label is actually almost more important than the thought. And now in reverse, it works the same way. The right will label certain people and say, uh, that's socialist. That's a, you know, whatever the terminology, uh, uh, that kind of proves the point. And so if you kind of, again, just take a step back and you look at kind of the whole playing field, what you realize is it's not about the truth. Nope. It has nothing to do with the truth. This is all a propaganda war (laughs) that is being fought by two different factions. And if it wasn't in the United States, if we looked at it and this was Iraq, for example, you know what the storyline would be in the United States? <laughs> the two warring factions yep. led by, you know, like, like the, the language would be so different. And we would all sit there in the United States and we'd be like, that's crazy and move on with our day because it's our politics. We, no one, no one sees it. You know, one of the, one of the observations I made, you know, that look, here's the, here's the problem with, with being a, uh, Call it a free. I, I would like to consider myself a free thinker. Now, I will also say at the same time, a lot of people who consider themselves free thinkers happen all think the same. And don't you think that's funny? But uh, <laughs> canceled. Uh, <yeah. laughs> but but one of the things about about being black is you're, you're expected to to think and toe a certain line, and I think that's that's one of the most destructive things that that can happen is people look at me. Um, and, and when I say people, I mean, I mean a, a general group of politically motivated people who who see who see me being black as a as a um, a, a card to play. They get them on our side, speak platform, whatever. Okay, but when I when I question things that that I go, well, that's not racist, right? <laughs> you know. And you try and get them to pin down a definition of racism, and then, and then they can't do that. I think one of the the dangers here, and I get to say it because I'm, or or at least I used to. Now now I'm an Uncle Tom and a coon when I bring it up, but I, I can say that's not racist. Like you might not like how it feels, but we let's not throw it and call it racist. And here's the thing: when you call everything uh, that that's a slight against you when you when you try and put a racial spin on it then what happens is actual racism is con that gets to slip in because you don't even recognize it anymore like there's this great video um about the voter id laws where the guy goes and asks a bunch of a bunch of uh people on, on berkeley's campus 
what they think about voter ID laws. And everyone's like, oh, you know, they, they disproportionately affect minorities because they have less money and they, they can't figure out the Internet and they can't go and learn, go get to the DMV. And so we, we need these. And I'm saying here, listen, I'm like, do you hear you? Like, you don't, you don't hear, <laughs> like, that's the real racism to assume that because, and then he goes by contrast and goes into Harlem and asks a bunch of black people, like, yeah, I know what a DMV is. <laughs> hey, oh, you know, like, like, everybody's got the ID. You can't even get, you, know? you can't buy alcohol. Everything. So, so I thought that was like when I saw that, I was like, "Wow!" Um, Because we're not, but because we're not allowed to question, or they try to make it so you, you know, you you can't question things or pin down definitions, and that's a a totally different conversation. Uh, The manipulation of our language and really trying to make it ambiguous so that it can fit whatever purpose we needed to fit. All right, let's call. It's called racist when we introduce, you know, when, when we oppose something called the voter ID law. But it's not racist when you go over the reasons which all center around degrading, at the very least, you know, pointing out our lack of function. That's why we need it. We obviously can't get to the DMV. Uh, then we have a problem. And so that is that is one of the other problems with politics today is, is the manipulation of these labels. And I think words are powerful, man. I, I think that's why I'm drawn to them because I understand how powerful they are. And if you watch it, the, the manipulation of these things is incredible. Did you see um, the Black Lives Matter donation slash lawsuit? Yep. So uh, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know a ton about this. I saw a headline. I think I read two paragraphs. I want to be careful that I don't fuck up any of the facts, frankly. Okay. Um, but there was one specific sentence in this in this statement that my head was in a blender. I, I couldn't understand kind of how this all, all plays out. So I would love to hear kind of you riff on a little bit. There's two, I guess, factions, right, that, that have kind of come out of the situation. There was a bunch of money that was donated. Uh, one of the co-founders being accused of taking or using $10 million. It's basically a personal slush fund. Yeah. That's my words, not theirs, but that was just the general uh, uh, kind of accusation. That individual appears to almost be saying like, oh, uh, the other group is using the white man system to oppress me. (laughs) And so when I saw like it just like on that alone, it was just one of these situations where I was just like, holy shit, we're headed into a world. Like I don't even worry about like today. It's like 10 years from now. Mm -hmm. It, It almost gets to the point where like it will be impossible to navigate the world without offending someone. Yep. And, and and whether that's by design or not, that's a different conversation. But when you when you when you decide that words don't when you strip away the the meaning of a word, right? Mm-hmm. It, are you modified slightly? But there's a consistency. We we understand that. That's that's what a dialect kind of is. Eh? Mm-hmm. You know, you use these words a certain way, and we all agree with that. What they mean. The problem is. Uh, when you are allowed to change them whenever the situation suits you and then no one calls you out or, or checks you on it. Like, like oppress. Who's oppressing you? You have $10 million, man. Like, that's cr- like it's crazy that one can go, can say that with a straight face because, you know, hopefully, hopefully, you know, the, the powers that be take care of this problem. 
But l- l- let's navigate the mindset to get you to the point where you think that's that's an okay def- like like and probably genuine believer. I don't I don't think it's a cop out. I think that's another important piece of, <laughs> of of a lot of things. Not not just race related, just like yeah. across society. I do always ask myself, um, given the facts that are publicly known. Do, does it appear that this person actually believes what they're saying? Yeah. And I actually do think in most cases, people do believe what they're saying, which almost makes it crazier. Oh, yeah. Right? Because you're like, oh, no, that person really believes that. They're wrong. They're like completely wrong. <laughs> when, but they do believe what they're saying. Like you can correct ignorance, or at the very least you can remedy it, you know, by, by mm-hmm. putting the correct information in front. But but insanity, <laughs> uh, you like... You, almost by definition, you can't really do anything about that. So, so when a person says that they really think they're being oppressed, that they really think they suffered at the hands of something, you know, they're, they're, how do you prove to them that they haven't? How do you get them to go? No, it's not quite that way. Yeah, you can't do it. So, you know, well, man, the, the whole BLM thing. Um, I used to think. It was just somebody's really bad marketing, and that's what they called it BLM. Because, because if if I'm going to attack it, like let's let's say I'm a, I'm an opponent and I, I'm going to attack, I'm going to go, well, well, they're they you know Chirac was on fire this weekend, or you know, and it was a lot of black lives. You know, do those not matter? But they only matter when they are taken at the hands of what you believe is someone who you can you know profit from and rob people up. I used to think that was just bad marketing. Now I'm I am almost one hundred percent convinced it's intentional. You, you call it this good name, and in that and in that sense, it's brilliant marketing. You you call it this name, it's very easy to get behind. Very simple, Black Lives Matter. Let's get out there. They they matter. And then in the fine print that no one sees, no one reads, they matter when the police officer shot them as white, when the crime that happened against them was, was perceived to be by another model, well, by, by a white man, and we're not going to worry about any of the interpersonal violence um, or interracial violence and things like that uh, because that's not important and we can't profit from that, right? <laughs> that's like, I mean, that's how the fine print has to read based on their actions, and I tried to have this discussion with somebody uh, who's very pro, uh, call them pro Black Lives Matter. And I was like, well, you know, we just had this crazy shooting. Are we going to see them show up here? But I know it's for the police. I'm like, well, why are they called that? You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> and 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 that is the power of words. Mm-hmm. You got a you you get people who logically will, will, will you can you can get them to follow it. Like okay, they're not showing up when there are other crimes. Well, when when there when there are violence when there's violence in black communities at the hands of other black people, uh, and we can we can get them to logically take that step. But then when I get them to go so, we can agree that it's not that Black Lives Matter. It's that. When there's a situation where you can spin, oh, I won't even say spin. That's my words. But they only matter when the people who are taking them are not black, and you can like see the breakdown because the, either they admit that and I'm right, or it's in denial and the concept is wrong. Like in general, just not right. One other they they can't give, and so we, they just go back. And now we're talking more about people who can't. You know, yeah. The um the other situation uh and 
I, I always get so nervous that I, I misspeak on uh, on the exact details. So this is a, a general recollection of it. But the kid who his mom like drove him across uh, state lines, he had a gun, he was at one of the protests, uh, he shot and killed two people. Uh, I think it was the Kennesaw. Uh, oh, yeah. Like that, that, Rittenhouse. Rittenhouse. Kyle Rittenhouse, yeah. So I remember when like the trial happened, I believe he shot two white people. Oh, yeah, it's crazy, isn't it? <laughs> no, no, no. And uh, people on Twitter and, were like, whoa, 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 hold on. That's not what we were told. <laughs> and this is something, because I followed this, like, probably as closely as you'll ever get me following mainstream news that doesn't affect me. Um, because I, I was curious, because I didn't know things, and and I wanted to see, like, what's the what, what's the deal? Is Are we going to see? Because, but here's the thing. I'm not, uh, one way, we, we got to make sure justice is uh is distributed well and and be aware of that because it's important for people who do wrong things to be punished right because if he if he was out there just randomly shooting black people right that's a big deal if they let him off mm-hmm. any but 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 it's also a big deal if he's like not we got to figure out what it is mm-hmm. and so when you go when you go and learn the details of the case and and the background of him you know this is a guy who like had been talking about Black Lives Matter himself as a white kid and doing out there as I remember he was either donating or contributing or cleaning up, but the but he did shoot, you know, white guys. And so that's a that's a great spin because you know, what what did what did, what did Mark Twain say, man? A lie is halfway around the world before the truth gets his shoes on. And that was before the internet. <laughs> so so now you got people going up into the trial who really believed that. And I, I, and I didn't dig too deeply into it, but then when I found out, I was like, okay, let me follow this a little more closely because there's yeah. a lot to learn here. And then you still, you stay, <laughs> the, the whole state lines thing, you know, the, the, I believe that was his, there was his grandmother or father's neighborhood. It wasn't like he was just randomly on a bus and was like, I'm going to go hunting. Like, nah. <laughs> I, I uh, That was the one time where I... I seems like similar to you and they're like I, I don't really pay that much attention to like the national news about a lot of this stuff and uh frankly the most interest that i have in you know kind of what i'd consider more local or regional things that blow up to the national level is like mm. oh there's a police chase like it's a cool video <laughs> right? yeah. which like you know the, good or bad whatever that's human nature like there there's some crazy thing that ends up being entertainment unfortunately for for some portion of the population but this one uh I don't know if it was because it was being pushed so hard by the national media or whatever, but like I felt like I kind of popped my head up and I was like, oh, that's uh, not exactly what I what my assumptions were, what I had thought I uh, were the facts or, or whatever. And then it was kind of one of these things where like I couldn't wait to like pull my head back down and just like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, that's not, I don't want to be paying attention. I'm not happy when I'm reading that stuff every day in terms of like the national yeah, news. It, it really messes with you. Yeah, and, and it was just one of these situations where I remember saying to myself like, for me, somebody who's on the internet a, a lot, uh, and like I don't know, I, like generally aware maybe of like the national news stories. I don't pay t- a lot of attention to them, but like I see what's trending on Twitter, you know, all, all this stuff. If I was that surprised, I didn't even want to go watch. What was Fox oh. News saying and MSNBC? Because <laughs> again, it's just like the mainstream Twitter conversation, you could see the shock and like the, the outrage, probably too extreme of a word, but just like people being like, whoa, there's more here that maybe we don't understand. Right. That you could imagine 
the extremes of the mainstream media, just pulling every detail, spinning it, doing all this stuff. And you're just like, I just like, we're, we're all going to die one day. I, yeah. I don't want to spend, I don't want to spend my time trying to figure <laughs> That's out. That's how I feel. You, you know, know some of this. people always ask me, well, not always, they don't always ask me, but, but it, it comes up a lot because I've been, I'm fairly vocal about it, about my disinterest in politics and current events. And I know that seems weird because we, we've just spent the last, you know, 20 or 30 minutes discussing these things, but uh, it's only because you, you you can't really like it's very hard to be on the internet mm. to the level we are and not be at least aware of things. And some things you will you will dig deeper into because they they they're just um, for whatever reason, whether it's because the, the details seem interesting or or they just won't go away. That's a, a really the the big one. Uh, it just won't go away. But but for the most part, like I, I try to maintain, I call it willful in, willful ignorance and active disinterest in <laughs> in a lot of the, the stuff that is on the the politics and and um, current media because you know at the end of the day, I figure like this. But let's let's forget the stoic stance. So I really believe in that, which I'm going to die one day. I would rather enjoy it. If something's a real big deal, like real big deal, and it's gonna affect my life, I'm gonna find out. Like, <laughs> like, like, let's say I didn't know anything about real ID, and I just went on my way. I'm gonna find out uh, that my ID is wrong, and I'm gonna have to do something about that. Even if, but because I travel, I'm gonna hear about it anyway. You know, and and I think about the number of things that have happened in in politics that that bug me or, or that affect me, not bug me, that affect me. And I'm like. I can't think of much, and when and when they do, I thank goodness I've structured my life in such a way. Where if something really bothers me, like, like it's a really big deal, I'm just, just going to leave the country <laughs> or move to another state. You know, like like I um, and a lot of people did that over the last two years, right? <laughs> move states, not move states and move countries. You know, I just seen an article is trending about how how Mexico people are complaining in Mexico City how there's too many white people in Mexico City and they're like go back to America and they're like go back and and it's funny you know I'm seeing that from Mexico you know my wife's Portuguese we're here you know, record numbers of Americans in Portugal now and I mean, it's still a small percentage but there's a lot of people leaving but but that's where my stance is I have I, I create this agency around my life so that I don't have to worry about that stuff. And I think outside of people who who make a living by 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 knowing knowing the game, like like my brother in law, he's a wealth planner and he makes a lot of his decisions on where to put money at based on what, what he believes the economy will do. And he comes to those conclusions from years of experience and watching the news. Yeah, he probably should watch it. I don't do any of that. Mm-hmm. So I don't pay attention to him. You know, and if if it's a big deal, I'm gonna find out. My life is gonna get a real hard reminder uh, quickly. But there's one other thing that started to happen that I noticed, and and uh, it always scares me when I notice I got a new uh, reaction to things I see. Um, but uh, it hit home this morning. Actually, I was uh, on Twitter, and I uh, saw a, a account which uh, you know in the gray area. So, you know, somebody got to double check, uh, see, see what's getting posted. Uh, but they retweeted, uh, an account that I'd never seen before. And, uh, it was a video and it said, uh, I thought Ukraine was being invaded or something to that effect. 
And it was uh, allegedly a video of a party in Kiev of a bunch of what looked like 20-something-year-olds partying their faces off drinking, no different than if on Friday night you went out in Miami and somebody yeah. took a video, right, and, and it looked like people playing beer pong, kind of like a college party, right? And there was like two or three levels, and it looked like maybe 50, 100 people there. Mm. Not what we would <laughs> expect, right? Because on the Word. same day, the same morning I see that, the president of Ukraine is uh, ringing the stock market bell and and uh, basically pitching on CNBC the uh, investment in Ukraine. Mm. And I just thought to myself, the, my first reaction was not good or bad. It was, is this video real? Yeah, what you, man? <laughs> <laughs> I like, man, I think people really look Ukrainian. Oh, like, you know, you start thinking to yourself, like, ah, well, like, what time could this video have been posted? Like, you, all of a sudden you're like, now we're in this weird world on the internet of like, I don't even know if that video is really And so you video. can't even put the energy, right. Yeah, I just, you know, yeah, I'm, I'm trying, I'm, I'm slightly at a loss for words only because I have this, this exact reaction to everything. <laughs> in fact, you ever see the Matrix? And and the first time um, Neo meets Morpheus, or not not the first time, but it's it's early it's doing early in their meetings. He goes, "You have the look of a man who accepts everything he sees because he's expecting to wake up." Funnily enough, that's not too far from the truth, right? Yes. <laughs> and I'm like, "Huh, that's how I feel about a lot of the stuff I see because you can't." You 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 don't know you don't know anymore and then and and because so much has come out where the the angle has changed and leaving out something vital or it's outright fabricated or or it's an old photo used to represent something new you just got to look at everything with a grain of salt and go okay look if I want like if you you know how they say if you want to find something to be angry about if you want to be angry you'll find something to be angry about. It's a perfect example. You don't know if any half this stuff is real, half the stuff that comes out is fake. Like, like, yo, uh, it, it's so crazy. I, I'm aware of all the news and all the numbers around inflation. And and even I have to go sometimes. I'm at the grocery store. And I'm looking at the price. I'm going, is it really that bad? Like, because I'm looking at the meat my, the, and the price, and I know what I pay. Because, you know, and I'm just like, is it really that bad? Is, or is it really happening? And then I think about 1984, and I think that's a book everyone should read. It's fiction, so. <laughs> All right. I have read 1984. Right. But, but that when, when they explain that they're not really at war and they break down the way things really, really work. We just, you know, we tell everyone they are and everyone proceeds as if it is, it is like that because when, when things are that way, you don't have to innovate. You don't have to create, you know, it's not good. People think you're at war. They just listen and follow. And it gives, it gives everyone the power to create, uh, not everyone, a part of government to enact laws. And we don't have to worry about innovation or educating our citizens. I think about that a lot. Sometimes like that, like you, you could, in fact, if, if you don't want to read anyone listening, if you don't want to like read 1984, just get to that part where, uh, I can't remember the character's name, but he's explaining, uh, how everything really works when he gets, oh, I think he finds a book or something that explains how, how the war and all that is manufactured. And you start, and then you start looking around, you go, okay, this is a little too close to home. Uh, I'm going to step back because it's really designed. I think this, I believe this in my heart of hearts because, because it makes sense following the money. This makes sense. Forget the conspiracy angle. It makes sense that you being enraged is good for the network's pocket, because the networks work on a CPM model, as far as, far as I understand, especially on the internet, where you don't even got to buy anything. 
You just got to keep reading. You just got to be on the site. And so they get paid. You go on and you're going to go because you're angry and you got to find out more information. And so they figured it out. Let's just put the most negative, extreme, polaristic stance on something almost to the point of it not being accurate. Like when you read what the article's about versus what the headline says. But it's okay because they got you to click through and read. So there's more money. Everyone goes, I'm happy when you're angry and polarized. Do you remember during 2020, CNN had the, uh, I called it the death scoreboard. <laughs> you, you remember they had that on there? They literally yep. had a scoreboard. They just kept at the bottom of the screen. And I, I, I remember. Oh, it was, it was no, at the no, bottom it was, it was on the right. Panel. On the big, big right. Yeah. Where it showed how and, many people were. And the reason were, why I know is uh, at the time I was living in New York and uh, in the building, uh, there was a TV in the elevator. And they never had anything else on. Like, we, I requested like a hundred times. I was like, yo, can you please get this? Because it was depressing. Right. Right. It was like, man, like, this is like not what I want to do when I get in the elevator is look at this thing. And it was there every day, every day, every day. And I remember being like, holy shit. Like, that is in terms of getting people enraged and holding attention, doing all this stuff. That single thing, that's the most innovative thing they've ever done. You couldn't you couldn't ask for a better uh piece of I guess piece of reporting than this negative scoreboard. On, on, a, on a very related note, have you ever seen Anchorman 2? Not the, <laughs> them, they're, I mean, they're, all, they're both funny movies. Yeah, yeah. But uh Anchorman 2 is is really underappreciated. Because it's a brilliant piece of social commentary on how the news spins things to keep you engaged. And when I first seen it at this point, man, it might be, I don't know. I feel like it was it was definitely over 10 years ago, probably like 15 at this point, Anchorman 2. I remember I thought that when I seen it, this is before I got like yeah. really into social media and seen anything. And I was like, wow, they really, they really summed it up. If you can make people, the, 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 the basic premise is news by itself is boring. And doesn't keep people engaged, and so we don't lose, we we don't make money, and we're gonna be off the network. So let's figure out how to make money. Oh, this is the kind of stuff we gotta cover. Let's cover that, and that saves the network. When you when you when you see that, you go, "Wow, this is nuts!" And you know, it's funny, and so that's probably why people missed the main idea, the main point. But that's what I took away from it all those years, and I see it in place now. I see how it's working now, and yeah, that scoreboard, great. Idea, you know, that was a great idea. Going back to the race conversation, let's not report on the shootings when the perpetrator is white, or when the perpetrator, when the, when the victim is white, or the police officers are black. We don't want to report on those. Those are, that's not good news, All right? You know, it is good news <laughs> when, a, when a white guy shoots a black dude. Like like that video that that story about them cops beating the crap out of I mean well, well there's so many I don't even know what's one right uh, it just I mean it makes news it pops up because it's it's a violent video swept away goes away the uh, the internet I actually think has a much better memory now than uh, <laughs> that's than true the news does, <laughs> right because they yeah. will uh, they, they'll pop this stuff up and, and um, also I think a lot of people on the internet now have moved from a uh, um, fact to entertainment. So I see a lot of videos on, on the internet <laughs> and 
if you're like new to the internet, whatever that would mean, like you'd be trying to figure out, is that really where it's from or whatever? I saw, I don't know if you saw the, uh, uh, it's allegedly a Russian dash cam video where uh, there's like two cars driving at night. One kind of pulls in front of the other the driver hops out in the middle of the highway. He's like banging on the driver uh, door and then four, <laughs> four people get out and they're in like full blown Halloween yes. costumes and they beat them up. Right. And they jump back in and they, and they take off and it's like, oh, this is the most amazing dash cam, whatever. Uh, and I saw it recently it was circulating, circulating again and, and uh, uh, people are retweeting it. <laughs> and now I just said to myself, I don't give a fuck where that is. Like, that's just funny. Yeah. <laughs> right. Like, like strip away all the like, uh, uh, um, kind of chaotic, uh, like, um, sensitivities that everyone's trying to get everyone enraged or whatever. And it's like, by the way, the video is probably fake. It's probably staged. Like right. if you look at it through the lens of like, that's a YouTube stunt. All of a sudden now, people are like, yo, look at this funny-ass video. And people, man, they're really coordinating these YouTube stuff. <laughs> I only know that because I just shared this video. Absolutely hilarious, but but it it blurs the line. Well, you're from New York. You've seen the way these 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 homeless people just kind of set up shop on a car, and they just stroll back and forth. So the, the, so the video is of a, of a homeless guy walking through a, a subway. Got no shirt on, no shoes. So, so pretty much everyone's just kind of ignoring him, like you would in New York when you see <laughs> nothing new. And then he stops, looks at a woman with her food, and then just grabs it and just runs off. <laughs> and then, now, now no one knows it's a stunt, but the guy who's recording and the guy who is running off with the food. But that's why oh, it looks oh, he, so oh, real. Oh, he faked it. Yeah. Well, well, did he did he fake it? Well, what's what's a fake? That would mean that everyone was in on it. Yeah. I don't think I the think woman. the only person that was in on it was the guy filming it and the guy who was. But so so is he really in on it? No, it's he's being an asshole and filming it. Is a better look at it. But but what does that do to our perception? Like the way I shared, it, I was just being funny. Like oh man, these homeless people aren't just sitting around waiting for you to toss some change. They're taking it now, right? If I'm looking at that video, I'm thinking, oh man. That is crazy that a guy would do that. He mm-hmm. must, it must be real. Never mind the fact that like someone just happened to be filming somebody, yep. but, but it is kind of funny and weird. I've done that, take pictures of crazy shit I see or yep. videos, and the guy just happens to run off and with the food. But it blurs this line where everyone around you doesn't know it's a joke. You know it's a joke, and the and but the only part of it that makes it a joke is that he's not actually a homeless dude, and it, it's set up for entertainment. It's kind of like um, it's like candid camera. Remember that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, yeah. like yeah, same yeah. idea. I always think you couldn't do some of these things that that they used to get away with. You couldn't do them today. Like, oh, like absolutely there's, not. There's some, there's, some, there's some of those like prank shows and stuff that they could absolutely get away because they wouldn't get punched in the face or whatever. Like, like society's kind of gotten softer and people yeah. would just be offended or, or whatever. And then there's some of those shows like uh, uh, Punked or whatever. Like now I think people would just go to blows. Over oh, some yeah, this is bad. You know, like there's a whole, in fact, there's a whole video series somebody sent me or uh, I guess it's in New York, but it, but he's behind Bulletproof Glass, which is important here. <laughs> It's, it's Chicago, New York. It's one of those big, big cities, and the guys come in, and he goes and pays for his stuff. It's a dude behind the counter. It's a dude paying, and the dude goes, all right, thanks, Daddy. You have a good night. And he said, yo, what you call me? He was like, I just called you Daddy, man. What's up? He was like, 
Like, what do you mean? That's where you can call us just like dudes like this. Like, no, nah, don't call me that. Don't play that way. And he just keeps, and he goes, all right, cool. All right, nice one, sugar lips. And he's, like, <laughs> and he's just like, and he's, but, but because the guy can't get yeah, behind get the him. camera, yeah. he's okay. But but you're right. Like, if, if he could, you know, because some of the dudes were like, oh, you lucky you back behind that glass. Yeah. Like, you seen where they do the NBA players? They, <laughs> no. go, they go up to the NBA players and, like, the most recent one, uh, they had um, what's the kid that uh, was in uh, Philadelphia and he got traded to the uh, Brooklyn Ben Simmons, and uh, I think it was Ben Simmons. And they went up to him and they're like, "What's up, what, Russell uh, Russell Westbrook?" And they like go up to the players and they pretend that they don't know who they are or like they think they're somebody else. <laughs> and of course, you're an NBA. I mean, get yeah. the fuck out of here, right? And so they chase the dude out of a store because he because they realized immediately he was. It's like now become a thing where it's like yeah. you're trying to disrespect me. Now it's like get out. Yeah, it's it's and now they got security. World, they got all this. <laughs> the, um, the 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 other thing uh, that I think a lot about is uh, sometimes something happens in life, and you don't know if it's like uh, if they're trying to not punk you, but like you see stuff happen, and you're just like, yo, is that no, is that real? And you start kind of looking around, and in today's society, you're kind of just like, is, is there a camera somewhere? Is there something happening or or, or whatever? And uh, I don't think that that's necessarily the best thing, you know, over the long run. Uh, if everyone is always just thinking about, you know, like, how do you capture footage? Like, yeah. if life became uh, basically a TV set, that don't seem like a, a, I, a good path to go down. You know, I'm in the creator space on, on, I guess, the internet, Twitter, social media, YouTube. And one of the things I've observed... And I, I comment on it pretty regularly, much to the dismay of many of my fellow creators. But I go, look, man, uh, I'm, I'm 37, and I was putting together my life because of my age. I was putting together my life as if there wasn't going to be no cameras around. You know, I didn't I didn't start boxing so I could make videos of it, for example. <laughs> I certainly didn't go back to school so I could talk about it on the Internet and study physics. Like, no, that's like, that's like hard things you do to form my life that, like, look, let's be real here. I could probably, with what I understand about Internet making money now, I could probably never do anything worthwhile again and just, just make a living for the rest of my life on the derivatives and lessons from, from that. But I never, never do that because I don't think that way. You see, though, especially with the guys under 30 because it's a different generation. And that, that sounds weird, but under 30, what would that make you? You'd be born in 93, 92? Mm-hmm. Something like that, yeah. yeah. So, 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 yeah, 92. Afterwards, so it means you, you're going to come up, and at the very least in your high school days, that's when social media is going to start popping off. And by the time you reach your 20s, your early 20s, you're like, why would I ever go do something hard and challenging and push myself uh, I'm going to instead, I'm going to try this internet thing. I'm going to try to make this money thing. So you get a whole generation of guys who have figured out how to make money online, talking about and doing a lot of the same things that everyone else was, because they all sound the same. Mm-hmm. Uh, slightly different flavor, but all talking about the same thing because there, there are certain topics that are just more engaging. Uh, but if you don't have a, a life to go behind, like, like I can talk about it ain't a platitude when I say it because you can look me up. I, you know, I, I went through it, right? It's real life. But if, but if I can't, you know, if you you like some kid from a middle class suburb family, you start talking about you know discipline habits and and you know pulling yourself up and fixing your life, it life, it comes off. It, you can get away with it in one platform and another or whatever. But but the whole idea, the whole point, is that 
you you only you really gain perspective and life experience and and real um these things start to mean something and you have to use them mm-hmm. you know it's like like why, why would a kid join join the army now you know that's another discussion right but but why would he you know go go enlist in the armed services or take up a combat sport or or Thinking of things I've done, armed service, take up a combat sport, go do, do, learn a very difficult uh, subject, pick up a language or two, right? Learn an instrument. There are all these things, that, but they take time and they're hard, and and the failure is there, and you're not going to face it. And and on top of that, it's not good instant screen time. It's not a good investment, right? It's it's not you know you can't capture it. Everyone wants to be, be the man, you know, like, like I, 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 cause I know a lot of guys personally and I see some of the things they post and I'm like, man, I know what you're really doing and making. That's, that's kind of, it's a little misleading. I'm not going to say, you know, cause it ain't my thing. You're not, you're not really selling money. So I don't make it, but, but I look and I go, that's really misleading. Cause they're, they're positioning themselves that they make more than they actually do. Well, because yeah, because you you can you know one one of the cool things is uh, what I like about travel, and it's it's like this about anything, but travel is just the first thing that comes to mind, is that if you don't know, you assume it is a very expensive thing to do. It is high, you know, but once you know, you go, it's not really. You know, it is what it is, but but it's a, it's a good selling point. If you're good, good at the internet, you can find how to get a lot of places in the world. Pretty Man, cheap. if you're good at the internet, you can get a Lambo for two. I, I, you, have you heard about these guys? <laughs> They're renting the Lambos oh, to yeah. make it look like a life. You, you can you can really make your life look a certain way. But when I when I sit down in front of you and I talk and I realize you don't have any type of skill, you don't have any type of experience, you don't know or do anything. Talk to a lot of marketer guys. No con like no what the really I'm I'm really big on the relationships in your life. I think I'm not saying you gotta have a bunch, but I think one of the telltale signs of somebody who is who has gone through a life is that they have they have long term friends. I don't like I'm not interested in the guy who really took that advice to heart. Get, you know, get rid of your old friends when you level up. Like, no, nah, because there should be some people in your life that that they bring something more to the table than, or, or other than, you know, like advice and ideas on how to hustle. You know, I get mm-hmm. like good, solid relationships, all these things, right? We're all these things to make a life. We have we have really become about, and I'm not even going to say we, man, because I'm not in that that generation. <laughs> I am very much a um, damn near an elder millennial at this point. Um we have, or it has become really cool to have the sizzle without the steak. Mm-hmm. If that, you know, the, to put it in, in real easy terms, real easy. Let's look the part. We don't really want to be the part. But I don't think they're trying to do that. They don't even know what the part is to be. This is uh, uh, in business, specifically in the tech industry, in like the startup world. Uh, I used to call it a blog post founder. Versus a real founder. <laughs> and what I mean by that is like you could be a founder who went and read a bunch of blog posts and you learned all the things that you're supposed to say. And so to the untrained eye, you could trick a lot of people. You could yep. raise some money. You could do this, this, whatever. But to the trained eye, it takes like two questions and it's just bam, yep. you know, and you could break it down. Now the benefit, and this is like kind of a larger story of all of society, 
part of the positive of that story is that information that used to be behind closed doors in the like good old boys network, all this stuff is now, is now available on the internet. Cause there's somebody who reads it, who's a real entrepreneur, right. And will go and implement it. And now they know how to work with their board or they know how to put together a fundraising deck, or there's a database of investors to reach out to, or, you know, whatever. But with positives comes negatives. And there's a lot of people who now can kind of fake it better because they read the blog post and mm -hmm. they think they know what they're supposed to say, whatever. That's business, and, and usually it's in an environment where they're asking somebody for money. But it's the and, same idea. Yes. It's like, okay, cool. Now take it to uh, the successful people. And one of the things I tell all the young kids who uh, uh, I see doing some of this stuff, is I always tell them, I say, hey, man, uh, you, you ever seen a picture of Elon Musk on his, on his uh, jet? Right. Like, no. And by the way, the picture you saw of him on a yacht, that's somebody else's yacht, and he didn't want the picture taken. <laughs> <laughs> right? One of the things that I really pride myself on, man, uh, is, is you know, when you see, because I, I use IG like everyone else, but I used to promote my writing really, like, heavily. But one, but I do like to show that I'm a real person, and I exist, so I put pictures of my life and stuff, but it's always like... Uh, you know, it's me with, with some friends, with my girl, or with, with the, you know, what's the last picture? I posted I was standing in the water making a silly pose on the beach, man. Like, just showing, like, but because I think after a certain point, like, when you 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 learn the, the negatives that come with a lot of that. Uh, in fact, I, I would say, like, like I, I'm, I'm really big on posting stuff that show me living life. And actually living life, you know, uh, we were in Budapest for one of, this is one of the coolest things about the internet. And I'm sure you like, you get this right. Uh, so, so we were in, uh, we were in Budapest for a week and then took a, a river cruise down the Danube. Uh, we stopped in uh, Bratislava, Vienna, Litz, and one of the places, Munich. Right. And, and when we were in Budapest, she was there though, because of what my wife does, she's involved in travel. And scheduling stuff and, and helping people take these amazing trips places. And so she was there for a river a river cruise conference. So I, I was like, I'm gonna go. Um, but that Sounds week awesome. she was busy. So what I did, I just let people know I was in and every day there was somebody else to hang out and That's show cool. me stuff. And so I got like real tours and real, real just a different view and, and experience. And I took pictures with everybody because I wanted to to show like this is what what's really rich of our life, being able to like touch down and have real conversations with people. People I talk to now still, I'm not in Budapest. And so that's really trained in a gym and worked out. That was hard because I'm not training like a fighter anymore. Yeah. <laughs> but it was but but that's the value. And that was like one of my favorite pictures to post is all these people that I got to meet and run into. You don't you don't see me, you know, sitting in a picture of me in my first class or something like that or or with the Lambos or posing with my with my, my jewelry or my watch. No, it's the people. But but if I but if I don't show but here's that's what they think. If I don't show that stuff, people aren't gonna buy from me or deal with me. And I get it, there's like this whole image of project, but why would you wanna why would you I I wonder what what the motivation is to to do it, I guess. It brings it back to uh, street versus boardroom. Mm-hmm. Is there's there's people who uh their entire life they're trying to project the boardroom and then when they get there, I think a lot of people realize like Nah, man, you'll, you'll always want to try to get back to yeah. uh, the street mentality, to the uh, uh, this approach of um, uh, those people are trapped. I, yeah. I think, I think about it a lot. I, actually, I'll tell, you, I'll tell you another great filter I have. My wife and I talk about it a lot. Um, 
I don't think this will have any identifying information. I, I don't know the person's name, so uh, that helps. Uh, we were in Austin, Texas two years ago, kind of end of 2020. And um, we uh, went out to eat. And uh, we were somewhere, I don't know, 6th Street or whatever, kind of where if you were a tourist, this is where you would go. But uh, uh, it was kind of a nicer place. And a uh, guy walked in um, and, you know, I have a, a problem where I pretty much only just wear T-shirts. So, <laughs> uh, so every once in a while you catch me maybe in like a, a, a black collar shirt. That's a, that's a big dress up for me. But uh, I was sitting there and, you know, just regular clothes or whatever. My wife, same thing. And this guy walks in and he had a, uh, like a button down, like a dress shirt, right? Some jeans and nice shoes. And he was like, All right, you know, cool. Goes over and there's like an outdoor patio. And this guy's a regular. He knows every staff person, like all this stuff. And people are showing up and he's pointing, he's doing this, and he's ordering drinks. And he's, and he's got the whole thing going. And for whatever reason, I just turned to my wife and I said, I bet you a hundred dollars that dude's a medical device salesman. <laughs> right? And she was like, What do you mean? And I said, He's got just enough money where he could ball in the local bar, but he ain't got a yacht, a jet, a Ferrari, <laughs> like what, you know, whatever, right? Yeah. And by the way, I always go back to like, if he's happy, amazing, congratulations, right. you fucking crushed life. But I always ask myself, like, did he one day say, I'm going to go and I'm going to become successful at whatever the job actually was, right? And uh, I want to have enough money to go to the local bar and, like, basically, you know, ball out. Yeah. Probably not, right? And so, like, it, it was less about this one individual as much as it was just, like, there's a whole lifestyle that I think people go and they do. And, and, and they're almost, like, fooling themselves a little bit. But it does go back to the fact that, like, if they're truly happy, you got to just high five them, celebrate, and, like, yep. hey, you, you killed life. I think the reason why people always point out these situations is because a lot of those people aren't actually happy. And and not only I – th- I think happiness is is hard too because there'll be there'll be moments where you're good or moments where you're not, whatever, right? But but ultimately I, I think I – don't, I, don't, I don't know why I don't like the word happiness to describe it. But, but I do wonder if fulfilled – that's fulfilled. the word I want. That's a, yeah, that's a great word. Uh, Fulfill, kind of purposeful, because was I, I got a good friend and he described it like this. You know, there's a lot of, because of, there's, there's a lot of guys that figured out how to make money, and they figured it out by by positioning themselves as opposed to generating value, and just just really getting in the getting in the right place where the money changes hands and you you know cut it take a cut however that looks whether it be an affiliate cut. Or or a founder's fee or somebody whatever right you just get in the right place right plum or moving somebody else's product and we associate money with we associate money with value but personal value so it, it gets mixed up they think have this and that and you there's a lot of skeezy people money and there's a lot of cool people who are broke and it, it's not. Is not this goes back to what I was saying about you know why would you drop your friends right now you drop somebody as a problem for for various reasons but uh, if if you cut out hanging out with somebody it's because they're happy doing something it might not be a financially a lucrative move but they're they're content they're fulfilled they're still your solid homie you guys still have are able to connect and and they're a good person right. But if it ain't about that that image, that money that you can project, what are you doing? Nah, and and that's where we're ooh, we got a weird relationship with money in this in this uh, society. 
<laughs> we, you know, because I think about, I think a lot about the stat seventy five thousand and above to be happy. They say you make seventy five thousand dollars, and any more than that doesn't doesn't add to happiness. I think yeah, you know, I think I think you know we we add inflation to that. It's probably somewhere around ninety. But like uh, the the point is, there's there's a small there, there's, a, there's a place you reach where everything after that is kind of uh, right. Is it doesn't make you feel more fulfilled. And so you start going, okay, well, well, how do I get there? That's what makes a difference. And a lot of people just want the money. They don't consider that it's path dependent. You look because you can go selling dope. Okay, you don't want to be, you don't want to do something illegal. Uh, you could probably do do eighteen to twenty hour shifts every other day, uh, doing day work. Combine that with some some Uber, you get it's that money easier. there, right? <laughs> you want to you want to know one of the number one jobs in America make a hundred k? What's that? Drive a truck for Walmart. Yep. Oh, S- starting pay hundred k. Yep. Right. If uh, I forget the stat, maybe VP at Walmart, million bucks a year. You ain't even got no one's got to know your name. You don't even got to have a LinkedIn profile. Wow. Just a, v- a million v- bucks a year, and you run some division or whatever. Now again, like. It takes time to get there. You got to be smart. You got to know what you're doing. You know what I mean? Like, it's not like you just wake up one day and go apply and bang, you're 22 years old, you're the VP at, at Walmart. But 100K as a truck driver? And, and look, exactly. I actually made that suggestion to a buddy of mine who was trying to make the money. I was like, look, man, if it's just about money, it's go be a truck driver. <laughs> like, then now if you want to, like, if there are other things that are important, yeah. But when you make it about money, then you you miss out on I just I don't see so a lot much, of truck man. drivers posting on Instagram saying six figures by twenty six right <laughs> but you, you got your truck drivers I know a guy in the uh, a boilermaker I mean he's doing he's doing like fifty fifty five thousand fifty 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 to fifty five dollars an hour depending on the job which works out to be about a hundred k a year a little a little less um, mm-hmm. but like. There are so many ways to to get to this this land of of plenty, and then, you know you get there and you go, all right. Well, do I like how I got there? Is is it all cracked up to be? What do I need? You know, lifestyle creep is a real effort, right? All of this, you go, you you figure out what matters to you, and that's what I think. This all comes back to is that people have let. People have let let social media, let other people determine what's important to them. So they think, I have to make this life on this screen captured, remove almost all authenticity, create a somewhat uh, fraudulent image. Well, fraud might be too strong of a word. Misleading is probably better. Somewhat misleading image to keep the money train going. And it's not that much money because, well, I don't have much to show for my life outside of this. Like if you removed it, I think about this, this, this imaginary scenario. Like if there was a, say tomorrow, the power grid shut down <laughs> and we got to start over from scratch. What am I going to do? Well, I'm, I'm probably either going to work on something mechanical or, or turn into a soldier. That's going to be one of them. Be out there foraging, hunting, figuring things out, and and defending the new the new settlement it, with with skill. But but to have that skill, you know, you you got to go do things and and figure these things out. It's kind of I'm, I'm kind of rambling, but I'm about no. Nah, it, it's a it's a mentality. Yeah, and, and I think that's probably the biggest thing of uh, uh, a lot of the 
people who maybe seem a little lost or, or they're they're trying to project an image of uh, somewhere where they're not yet. Doesn't mean that they yeah. can't get there or whatever. Uh, but but I do think a lot about could you take that person, drop them off somewhere? How long does it take to come back? Yeah. Like, I, in fact, you know, it's funny, man. It was just having this conversation, conversation with the wife. I was like, yo, you know, I'm I'm really happy with the the life I've built and the connections and everything like that. Because I was talking about it's not about who you know. I mean, it's not about what you know. The, the, the older I get, and the more I learn, it really seems to be about, you know, who you know. At least that helps a lot more than what you know. But I was like, you know... Uh, it, I think about this like if I was wiped out tomorrow, how long would it take to recover? I still have all my knowledge and all my skills, and I'm really happy that that it, you know I won't, I'm not going to like immediately bounce back. But it should take more than a year, given what I know and how I know how to interact with people and reach out with the internet or not and the skill I have. Um, I, I think that's uh, that's that's a worthwhile kind of metric to stand at. Like if you were wiped out, like all your social media, everything was gone, right? You just I was just regular old Ed Lattimore, and I showed up. All I have are my skills and my knowledge. I don't even have the cool boxing record I put together. I got you know, uh, how would I come back? Okay, well I, I know enough how to do one thing, <laughs> a few things, and it would would make it. That that to me is uh, true for very many people in the sense of uh, uh, if they had to start over from scratch, they probably would end up being further along over the long run because they get a Well, like, I don't have to bump into as many walls, yeah. that's for sure. <laughs> a lot of walls, man. <laughs> yeah, that's the game. You just, just figure it out over and over, over time. You know, one of my favorite jobs I had, in fact, it was my favorite one. I did it longer than I had to. I was a tutor for high school. High schoolers were in physics and mathematics. Uh, I took on some English kid ones, and I was like, never again. I, I just, I mean, and I like reading, mm-hmm. but I don't like the way that school makes you read and what you have to know and what the work is. But I can teach you how to gain the right answer in your thought mm-hmm. process through through physics, chemistry, and math. And, and I think about that a lot because, now granted, because the people with that skill set, there's not a, it's not a big overlap between who has enough time to teach it and who knows enough. Most people with that skill set have jobs <laughs> using them. And so I was able to charge a, charge a premium, but but the impact I have is that I still have um, many many of the kids I worked with when they're, they, they're not adults now, they're when they're 20, 21, is, uh, they still reach out. I just had coffee with the other one today, and, and you know, she was telling me about, you know, her dad was like, you know, ask him about X, Y, Z and stuff like that. And uh, because cause it was it was working in the world, man, it was a physical, it was, it was that, to be there and connect with humans. And that means a lot to me. It was my favorite. Second favorite job, most entertaining one after that, though, uh, definitely would have been. When I worked at the homeless shelter, you get a lot of stories, man. Well, <laughs> 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 but, but, but you know that's neither here nor there. You know, you just you just figure these things out and and have a good time. I, I think there's um there should almost be a component where you got to do some some uh some physical work before you can talk about 
talk about doing stuff online. Yeah, <laughs> that, that is uh, that's very true. Where uh, where can we send people if they want to buy the books or, or read any of your writing or get more of these ideas? Because a lot of people will hear this and they'll say, "Hey, wait a minute, this guy's got some stuff figured out. He's still pretty open about figuring out more things in his life, uh, and he's been able to become self sufficient on the internet, which a lot of folks I think are trying to figure out. So where can we send them to to learn more from? So him? I I am uh, Ed Lattimore everywhere on the internet. EdLattimore.com is my website. At Lattimore's my Twitter, at Lattimore's my Instagram, at Lattimore's my Facebook and LinkedIn. So, yeah. There's no know. more Ed Lattimore's. You're the only one? Yeah. You know what's funny, man? I, th- I I usually say when people ask that, I go, look, if somebody's born after a name Ed Lattimore, I feel bad for him. I'm not going to name my son that, man, because Ed, because if he ever wants to go on the internet, he's going to have to, <laughs> to beat the SEO machine I've built behind the name. <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing Ed Lattimore So yeah that, That's uh, how you find me man I'm everywhere Under that name Alright com And then Ed Lattimore And all the social all media All the social sites. medias Yeah I really enjoyed today I think. Hey man I, I enjoyed it too It was a great Great conversation Very uh, I made some Some insights That I Did not necessarily Connect before Now I gotta dig deeper Like, like this is what I, This is what I do Like like when I have an, an idea and it's a flash and, it, and it, you know, I let it be a flash for a minute. And then if I keep thinking about it, I'm like, okay, I have to like sit down. That's why I write. One of the reasons why I write, because it makes me smarter. Mm-hmm. Because if I get, I, I describe like right now that this thought, the link between uh, the immune system and reading, right? It's not really connected at all. But but now it's, it's a thought and I'm thinking about all the ways it connects. And they're like little spinning uh, magnetopoles. Mm-hmm. And what I'll do when I write is like running a magnet over a piece of steel and they all point in the same direction. And now that piece of steel has force like it's a magnet and can move things itself. And that's how I look at my thoughts when I when I write is that I'm putting them all in a the same direction. Writing is for clear thinking. Absolutely. Clear thinking makes you a better writer. One of my one of my favorite sayings, you know, I don't I don't write because I'm smart, I'm smart because I write. That's very, very true. That's a great place to end, my friend. I appreciate it very much, and I hope everyone enjoyed this. Hey, thank you. Thanks so much for listening to today's episode. I really hope you enjoyed this one. Make sure you're subscribed on Apple, Spotify, or your favorite podcast player. And if you're looking to transition into a brand new job in the Bitcoin or crypto industry, we've got you covered. Head over to thecryptoacademy.io. My team and I have been working with the top HR teams in the industry to develop an intensive three-week training program with over 50 live events. We teach you exactly what you need to know to break into the industry, including live interview prep and resume review. Our students have been hired at over 75 of the world's best Bitcoin and crypto companies. Go to thecryptoacademy.io to learn more. Again, that's thecryptoacademy.io. If you enjoyed today's episode, make sure you share it with your friends, and I'll see you all for the next episode.